Blog Talk Radio. Centuries ago, three grand ships sailed across the Gulf of Mexico, bringing condiments to trade to the people of Mexico. One ship contained ketchup, one ship contained mustard, and one ship contained mayonnaise. On the 5th of May, the first two ships arrived at their ports on time, but the third was hit by a storm. The hull was breached, the crew was lost, and the contents sunk to the bottom of the gulf. This is why every May, we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation is area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. If you're listening live, you can also go to the episode page on blogtalkradio.com slash liberal Dan. You can leave, you can join us in the chat room uh, if you have your free blogtalkradio.com account. And just like bringing it boy just did in the chat. I hope you caught the entirety of the beginning of the show because I love to retell that story <laughs> over the Cinco de Mayo uh, uh, story. So if you missed it, I guess catch it on the replay once it, once it uh, fully uh, processes. Um, if you're listening after the live broadcast and you know either hate my story that I told to start the podcast or uh, otherwise you wish to. Uh, you know, leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. You can always uh, comment on the show thread at liberaldan.com, facebook.com, slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. <laughs> he missed the beginning. Oh, he's going to have to listen to it again. Or maybe I'll play it sometime. I don't know. I can always play it and stop it. Um, anyway, but uh, if you want to support the show, again, you could always uh, – um, support the show via the Patreon, patreon.com slash liberaldan or patreon.liberaldan.com, uh, just like the, uh, Knox uh, did, Demonox, the first Liberal Dan radio Patreon. Uh, you can hear his show, The World According to Knox, on his podcast. And also, thank you to Cesar for also being a Patreon. Would love to see more help uh, coming at uh, the show. Uh, but if you can't afford financially to support the show, you can always subscribe uh, to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash liberaldan or youtube.liberaldan.com. Either way, we'll get you there. And you can subscribe that way and help me. Uh, the more people that subscribe to the channel, uh, the more likely I am to uh, be able to make new videos above and beyond those ones that I want to make. So, but first, before anything else we're going to get into, we'll get into this week's headlines. In COVID-19 news, President Biden has backed a waiver of patent protections for COVID-19. A meeting with the WTO will determine what the end results mean. However, putting profits behind saving lives is a good thing. San Francisco has reached a 72% vaccination rate of persons 16 and older, at least getting one shot so far, and only six people died from COVID during the month of April in San Francisco. Just more proof that vaccinations work. Perhaps if the entire country saw this, we could really get back to normal, 
but the herd immunity crowd from last year is silent. A judge has struck down the national eviction ban, at least in Washington, D.C., Throwing, being thrown out of your house because you can't work during COVID is apparently okay now, at least in Washington, D.C. More on this as potential appeals are filed. A man removed his colostomy bag at a Kid Rock-owned honky-tonk in Nashville. He swung it at others, hitting people with feces. Conservatives should be supporting this man. Why? Because he should have the right to do what he wants. And if people are afraid of being hit with poo, they shouldn't leave their homes and they should just let the poo-flingers live their lives, right? I mean, that's the argument you make with masking. In sports news today, the Orioles got a no-hitter, their first in a while. What makes it interesting is that no walks were recorded for the Seattle Mariners either, meaning it should have been a perfect game, except one strike three was on a wild pitch, and the runner was able to advance to first. That runner was caught stealing, so the Orioles pitcher, John Means, only faced the minimum number of batters. Regardless, an impressive showing, I guess, that John means business. In other news, Louisiana was able to avoid a ban on young trans women playing high school sports with their peers by a narrow committee. In related news, this week's Hypocrite of the Week is Caitlyn Jenner. The former Olympian said in a less sensitive way that if you're assumed male on your birth certificate, it's unfair for you to compete in women's sports. Ms. Jenner has competed in women's golf tournaments since 2016. Good for me, but not for thee? That, my friend, is hypocrisy. To see who next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. And there you go. Hypocrisy indeed. Uh, and no bringing it, boy, do not refer to her by her uh, former name. Uh, we are not going to be misgendering or misnaming misgender. She is a woman. She just because she's a trans woman doesn't make her any less of a woman, even if she is a horrible person. Finally, Bill and Mel- Bleh, excuse me. Finally, Bill and Melinda Gates are getting a divorce. No news on if each of them gets to split my 2.5G when I'm fully vaccinated, or if they each get custody if for the full 5G every other week. And that was this week's headlines. And let me let me just double down on that and and just you know check you bringing a boy. Uh, we here at Liberal Dan Radio support trans people and uh, their rights to autonomy to be referred to as they wish. And uh, if, if Caitlyn Jenner wants to be called Caitlyn Jenner, then I'm a caller Caitlyn Jenner to go back to coming to America. If the man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, then God damn it, he should be called Muhammad Ali. Um, so, you know, there's that. So we are not going to be supporting the idea of, of referring to people by their dead names, nor are we going to, uh, nor are we going to uh, misgender or use the wrong pronouns for individuals, even if we disagree with those po- people politically. You don't know. We do know the pronouns. Uh, she is a woman, so refer to her as a she because she is a she because she's a woman. Thank you. This has been my TED Talk. Anyway, so what else has got, we got going on this week? I, I really wanted to talk about the census this week, but I really didn't have enough time with a lot of stuff that's going on to get into some personal stuff. Um, my dog is sick. She's right now in the emergency room or in the hospital uh, for dogs. And we're probably spending a little bit more money than we would have liked to to 
you know, on her health, but it just didn't feel right to just let her go without trying to save her life. So we are going to, uh, we're trying one last ditch effort, but it's, uh, um, we've been dealing with that all weekend. Um, hopefully we don't have to make the hard decision tomorrow, but, um, it is what it is. So I'm trying not to be too emotional about it during the podcast. I really wanted to continue on doing the podcast. I might have, had we had to make the hard decision today, uh, I might have just went ahead and canceled the podcast because, well, you know, I might not have been in a very good place because uh, she's been a good dog for the last 14 years or so, 13 and a half years. So, um, so if you are listening and, you know, you can send good thoughts to my pup. Uh, but I, because I've been dealing with that, I haven't been able to put enough time into really doing enough research on everything pertaining to the census um, and what what it means, uh, what what caused you know. I really want to look into like the efforts of the federal. I know maybe we don't have that information yet. Maybe it needs. Maybe this is something that's going to have to be talked about in a month from now or two months from now, when more information is made available about the raw data. Um, but the raw data, uh, when it comes to how the data was collected, how much efforts were put into certain states, for example, and this, this is, you know, I, I don't know if this is the case or not. So that's why I don't, I don't want to make wild predictions of where I think that a certain thing is true, but I, but I think a certain thing could be true and I think it should be investigated. Uh, was there more effort put into making sure that red states had a more accurate count than blue state as such, you know, did uh, did they focus efforts to make sure that they had um, more people on the ground in red states per capita? Or, you know, of course, how do you know per capita? You know, you don't, you don't be, that's the point of the census is to get how many people are in the state. So I don't know if there was evidence, if there's evidence there to show that there was um, bias in how the census was directed. We already know that Donald Trump didn't want to count people who were undocumented. We already know that even though, you know, and even people maybe who weren't citizens, you know, there's, there's this false belief that you only count citizens and that's not true. You, you, you count everybody in the, in the, in the area, you count everybody in the state, but if they made sure that more people in like Texas and Florida filled out their forms and were like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to try and convince the people in, New York or California to convince out their farms. We're going to, we're going to be lax on that. You know, if, if you're making more of an effort to, to collect the, that data from those individuals, then that could potentially put the thumb on the scale, so to speak. So, um, but again, is that, did that happen? I don't know. Is it possible that it happened? Absolutely. I don't put it past Donald Trump to do that. But I can't say that it did happen, and I won't say that it did happen until I have more research on it, until I'm able to look and see and make a decision whether or not that happened or not. So the, the concerns are there, but I'm not going to go ahead and say that this is, this is what I believe really happened until I have more data, more proof. Uh, so this is why I didn't want to go for Now, we may touch on some census issues pertaining to, like, the gaining of seats and loss of seats. Um, I was toying around with who was going to be uh, the words of redneck wisdom person this week. Uh, don't know. I picked somebody else, but there was another person who was a, who was from Texas. And he, I mean, this guy sounds like Sam. I was it Sam. What's his name? The, the guy that does all the commercials with the deep voice and the, in the, in the 
silver goatee or beard that he has, and he talks much deeper than this. Um, he actually, actually, I think, is liberal, but he has a very he, he does. I forget which which commercials he does, but it, it has a real deep voice and sounds like this. Um, so this guy was talking about um, talking about the loss of populations in blue and blue and reds from blue states to red states, which is not true. Um, the the blue states didn't lose populations. There's there's no states that really lost populations. There are states that, and I think one of, one of the one might have touched on this a little bit. I, at the end, we'll see. Um, but there are people that gained just because they, they gained a better. Just they, they might have lost population in the count, but they've gained a population. Like I think only three states literally lost population. Now, but again which is my concerns with the census, which is why I'm not dealing with it this week. You have the situation of um, if you, you count more in one state than you do in another, uh, if you don't make the effort in the one state than the, than the other, you have the possibility that you cheat the system. And even though I don't know if this is an example of cheating the system, I do know that Republicans are absolutely willing to cheat the system. Because that's what's going on in – happened with Georgia, with Georgia's new voter law. That's what's going on in Florida with the Florida new voter law. That's what's going on with what do I want to do in Texas, the proposed Texas new voter law. So there's a lot of new laws that are being proposed. And all these are being done in the name of voter ID, even though most of the texts of the, these laws have nothing to do with having an ID requirement. And if they were just and, – and the thing about the voter ID requirement is even then, like, the, the, whatever, the problem that they're trying to fix doesn't exist with voter ID. But even then, I'm not opposed to the requirement of a voter ID if you if – you, especially if you provide one for free. Like, do what Mexico does. Mexico basically provides a free ID to every citizen. You can use that. But the point of these laws – and we'll go into some of them more after the breaks – um, but the point of these laws is to make it harder for people to vote, and it should not be harder for people to vote. We should, we should be making it so that everybody who is an eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and we should have checks, and we do have checks. There was a Trump uh, – people get punished for if they're caught casting a fake ballot. Like you have another Trump supporter who voted a second ballot for a dead relative for Trump. Guess what? He's now being under investigation. He's now going to be. So the only real flaws that in this presidential election, the only real things that people have been able to catch are those trying to break the system for Trump. But anyway, let's go ahead and take the first commercial break. Uh, maybe after the break, I'll play, the, I'll play a little bit of the show intro again, just so everyone can hear my Cinco de Mayo story. Um, come back, take your calls as well. 914-803-4131 that's 914-803-4131 this is liberal dan radio talk from the left that's right
Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kind of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budget Ears is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. world gone mad. One progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Alright, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say. Sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family. Because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mmm, yeah. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Demonox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marsnet, and find me on Twitter by the handle xdemonox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. Uh, this is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana, to join the conversation. It's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Uh, we are talking about uh, the election laws. We will be talking about election laws. But one thing I did want to talk about before we got to that, uh, it's interesting uh, how uh, Liz Cheney is now you know, a pariah uh, amongst you know, the Trump supporting, the Trump loving Republicans, you know, that you, uh, you know, you have these people and McCarthy has, I'm surprised Steve Scalise hasn't jumped on McCarthy yet because uh, Steve Scalise from the first congressional district here in Louisiana, I've know him. I, we've, we've chatted in person several times uh, on the phone. Even I called him after he dropped out of the same election that I was in. Uh, back in 2004, um, he, you know, I saw him 
several years ago at an event where we just kind of ch- chatted a little bit. So, you know, we know each other. Um, not very well, but we know each other. Um, I just, I'm surprised. He's very opportunistic. I'll tell you, he's very opportunistic. And he, I'm surprised he hasn't jumped on McCarthy because right after the, the insurrection on January 6th, um, he, he, he would seem to piss off that Donald Trump was, didn't do anything when it came to trying to stop the people who were invading the Capitol, um, including terrorist Barbie, whose family is now trying to say that she was an unjust uh, murder. Uh, uh, it was, un- she was unjustly killed. Well, you know, maybe if she would have just complied with, or- with the orders, you know, maybe, maybe she would have complied with orders and, and followed the law that she, maybe she wouldn't have ended up, ended up dead. That, that's usually uh, the bootlicking response by uh, people who are apologists when police murder people. I'm sorry, that only happens when they murder black people. It doesn't happen when, when, when police kill white people. It's, oh my God, they shouldn't have used deadly force when she was part of a horde that was trying to invade the Capitol and Mike Pence was right there. They were shouting, hang Mike Pence outside. Um, uh, yeah, Liz Cheney probably didn't like President Trump. There are probably a lot of people who, deep down, this is, again, coming from bringing a boy. Uh, Liz Cheney probably, yeah, he says, Liz Cheney never liked President Trump. Are you kidding? I'm like, I never said she likes President Trump. There are probably a lot of Republicans who don't like President Trump. They just are willing to uh, just ignore that, go against their convictions, go against their... Uh, beliefs go against their what they think is right or wrong because their political power is more important than doing what's right. Except apparently for Liz Cheney, who is more than willing to put her career on the line and say, this is wrong. What happened was wrong. He tried to steal the election. He incurred the insurrection. He is responsible for what's going on here. And he is responsible for the problems in the dinner in the Republican Party. But because he has power in the Republican Party, these spineless cowards, except for her, and maybe Romney, are, are, are you know, th- these people are, are just unwilling, like McConnell, Senate, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, is, is such a spineless coward. He clearly also, you could see that he, he felt that there was response, some responsibility there on the part of Donald Trump in the insurrection. But he's unwilling to talk about it. He's unwilling to go against it. Why? Because, I mean, even Donald Trump even says that it's Mitch McConnell's fault that the Republicans lost the Senate. He, Trump doesn't take any personal responsibility for it, but he, he blames other people because Trump will never take personal responsibility for anything that happens, even though he's probably responsible for most of what happened. Had he done a better job with COVID, he would probably still be president right now because he would have probably been able to get out enough people to vote to, uh, what was the death rate? What was that, over 200,000? Maybe, maybe, maybe the people that died, you might have voted for him. Never know. That would, be the, that would be the real irony if the people that died from COVID would have given Donald Trump the election. That would have been the real irony. Um, but anyway... He says it's Mitch's How is it Mitch's fault? It's not Mitch McConnell's fault. It's part of the problem is the fact that it's more than likely. Even one of the, the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia was like, had Donald Trump not, and, and specifically had DeJoy 
not slowed the mail down, that you might have gotten more mail-in ballots from Republicans in Georgia, and Donald Trump might have won Georgia. And if, and if Donald Trump would have won Georgia, maybe at least one of those two Republicans wins, like Purdue. Maybe Purdue wins in the, in the general election and doesn't have a runoff. And maybe then it's 51 to 49, and you don't have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. You have Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and a much, much, much different, much different makeup of the Senate and a much different, probably worse off country. Because as Mitch McConnell has said again, that he is making it his, he is 100% committed to stopping the Biden presidency. Because he doesn't care about if people die of COVID. He doesn't care about any of that. He just cares about power. Republicans want power for power's sake. They don't want to lead. They just want the power. And if they don't have the power, they're not going to try and do anything else except for try and stall and obstruct and all that stuff. But anyway, back to the um, – I'm just surprised that, A, Scalise hasn't gone after McCarthy more, and, B, that, you know, the, the fact – I mean, I guess, you know – Trump demands loyalty, and clearly she's not loyal to him, never has been, I guess. Even though if you compare the voting records of the individual from New York who's, who's trying to oust her and replace her um, as, you know, the, as, as I guess the head of the caucus or whatever, whatever, whatever they're going to replace her as, Liz Cheney voted with Trump and supported more Trump policies than this other person. So the idea... That this, you know, so you, you're, you're, they were going to replace somebody who, who agrees with Trump less, but yet, because she actually has a spine and is willing to say that Donald Trump himself was responsible for the actions on January 6th, that Donald Trump himself was responsible for losing the election, and, and that the fact that the election was lost with no shenanigans or chicanery that would have made up the difference between you know Biden's overall electoral college vote total and Trump's overall electoral college vote total, and she, she's just willing to speak her truth to that power. And even though I'm not going to likely agree with Liz training on a lot of things, I have to give her at least a little bit of respect that she's willing to stand up for what she believes in. So um, how many, let's see, how many times did she, well, I'll, I'll have to look that up. Maybe I'll look that up during the first break. I don't know. Let me see. Um, how much, did Liz Cheney vote with Trump? Let's see if that, if we can get a quick answer from that. Uh, uh, as much as it, I'm going to have to refine my search on that. Because um, most of the articles are pertaining specifically to um, specific, maybe this 538 one. Uh, Liz Cheney, Trump score. How many? How often did Cheney vote in line with Trump's position? Ninety-two point nine percent of the time, and over her total career, um, her predicted score was ninety-four. But anyway, so this is and pretty much the one. The, the main one is the fact that he uh, impeached the impeachment of Trump. It's clearly one of the ones where she did. But here, here it is. Um, let's see who wants to New York Congresswoman trying to oust Liz Cheney. I forget her name. 
Stephonic. Representative Stephonic. Let's now search Stephonic. Her Trump score, career, 77.7% of the time. So she voted. She voted less often with Trump. 15% less than... of the 100% of the positions that Donald Trump could possibly have had on, on the issues. If you were 100%, Liz Cheney was at 92%. Stefanik is at 77%. So this person agreed with Trump less. Yet, this is the person they want to replace because Liz Cheney is somehow not, as, not conservative enough. Let's see, the irony of COVID deaths involving President Trump, that's the irony I was talking about. Let's see, blah, 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 blah. You would relish in that irony. You wouldn't shoot otherwise you haven't thought to say so. Uh, let's see. Would I relish in the irony? I don't like the fact that people died of COVID, but I think it would be ironic that if Donald Trump's, Donald Trump's actions causing him to lose would be irony. Not that I'm happy that they're dead, but the irony that had he taken better, better action – he probably would have still been president. Not, and not even from the people dead. While that's one way that his actions could have caused him to win re-election by having more voters to vote for him. Those voters were his voters, then he could have won. But even then, maybe there are voters who didn't die, but who looked at Trump's mishandling of COVID-19 and thought to themselves, hmm, we could do better because he could have done better and he chose not to. He rejected science. He talked about putting light in the body. He talked about injecting a disinfectant. And he wanted doctors to look in, look at that. So yeah, Trump could have done better. And had he done better with COVID, he probably would have. Been. But that's not really what this is. Uh, why do you feel that the numbers of the dead has to prove that Trump? Co- I think that, Don- I think that Donald Trump is responsible for much of the death that took place. I believe that some death was inevitable. Clearly. Um, cause this is a virus that kills people. Uh, however, if he would have take, been a leader, if he would have led on wearing masks, I think Donald Trump would have said, it is your patriotic duty to support your president and wear a mask to help me fight this virus, to help protect your fellow citizens. If Donald Trump would have come on camera and said that I guarantee you that 95 or more percent of the people who currently oppose masking would have been like, yes, sir, Donald Trump, sir, I'm right behind you, sir. They would have gotten in line quicker than a bunch of uh, fat people at a buffet. And I'm a fat person who liked, who liked buffets, at least. I don't know how many times. Uh, I'm rethinking buffets in simply because of, you know, health issues. But I really... I do I believe that blue state governors have no blame? They have no blame. I'm sure that there are blue state governors who have some responsibility in what they've done. There's there's some of the math issues that took place in New York that uh, that um, the New York governor, freaking why can't I remember his name off the top of my head because I've suppressed it because of his uh, his uh, his inappropriate actions with Cuomo, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo. You know, maybe there's something. There's stuff that Newsom did. 
I've, I've been critical of Newsom on this podcast for his little dinner thing that he did in front of the entire world, showing hypocrisy, you know, doing, you know, what he told other people not to do. He's hip- he was a hypocrite. Um, so there's that. So I've been critical of uh, liberal blue state governors. Now, we don't have a liberal blue state governor here in Louisiana, but we do have a Democratic governor uh, in the state of Louisiana. He happens to be very pro-life. Um, but he, for a while, had been embracing the science and making sure that we had them. He just lifted the mask mandate here in Louisiana, and I'm baffled as to why. Uh, we, Louisiana numbers, I think, may have just shifted up uh, since he's done that. Uh, we'll see uh, if his response is uh, correct or if he's going to have to go back and reinstitute a mask mandate after putting one in because, again, people can't be trusted to act right. So, yeah, if there are Democratic governors who do poorly, then I will blame them. There are also Republican governors who do poorly, and I'll blame them too. However, here's the thing. Many of these Republican governors are falling in line behind the Trump example, wanting to rush back to reopen everything, wanting to make sure that, you know, want, wanting to mock masking, wanting to, but, but Donald Trump is the, was the, is the, is the, was the leader of this nation. His responsibility was to set the, the example. Instead of setting the example on wearing masks, what did he do? He mocked it. I don't think that I could sit behind the Resolute desk with a mask. No one told you had to wear a mask while sitting behind the Resolute desk if nobody's with you or if you're, if you're socially distanced or with people who live with you in the, in the White House. But if you're doing your duties, maybe you should be wearing a mask. Set the example. And all these people mock Biden for, for wearing a mask too much. Being too careful is usually better than being not careful enough. And if he was a real leader, and if he was really wanting to do what needed to be done, he would have been a leader on masking. He would have been a leader on ensuring that people went and actually got the vaccinations instead of, you know, yeah, warp seed potentially caused some vaccines to be created, although I think the Pfizer one was not uh, funded with warp speed in the development. I think there were some orders of it afterwards, but I think that the first one out was not one of Project Warp Speed's uh, projects, but still, I, I think the vaccine still could have done without calling it warp speed. Um, But there are people who are conservatives who are concerned and don't want to take the vaccine because they feel it was rushed. Well, who rushed it? Trump. But we could have gotten a better handle on this virus had he been a leader, had he, again, just said, it is your patriotic duty as each each and every American to have a patriotic duty to, to stand together while standing apart, to wear a mask and be socially distanced, and to fight this virus because this is, the, this is the war that we need to do, and we all need to come together. If he would have done something like that, I think we would have seen much less death in this country. But he didn't want to do that. He instead wanted to, you know, he didn't want to be bothered with wearing a mask, and so everybody else jumped on board. He then caused that it was no worse than the flu, even though weeks earlier he had told Woodward that it was much worse than the flu. And we've talked about this stuff already. If Joe Biden needs to wear a mask, according to Bring a Boy, that helps keep the shit that flies out of his mouth, spread it all around. Um, that, that's the point of wearing a mask, is you don't want the stuff spreading out of your mouth and spreading COVID everywhere. Exactly. 
You got it, bringing a boy. That's exactly how it works. The people want no more masks. The people want a lot of things. We don't live in a democracy, as y'all like to say. Y'all make sure that every time we point out about this is undemocratic. Well, we don't live in a democracy. We don't live in a democracy. We don't. And sometimes people, leaders have to lead. And if he was a real leader, if Donald Trump was a real leader, and if he would have said it is your patriotic duty as an American citizen to, to listen to these scientists and to wear masks, that would have gotten liberals to say, no, I'm not going to wear a mask as Trump is telling us to, because we would have listened to Fauci anyway. But then y'all would have probably listened to Fauci, and y'all would have listened to the experts, and y'all would have said, I'm going to follow my president and do what's right for this country, because y'all fall in line. If he would have demanded that y'all fall in line, y'all would have fallen in line. But he didn't. And too many people have died because of his inaction. And now, because of his inaction, because of his, his attitude about the virus and about COVID, we have people in this country who are just so much in a rush to go back out and, and, and live life normally when this isn't over yet. This is like a horror movie where you, you, everybody in the audience knows that the, the bad guy's not dead yet, and they're just going out to the party. They're going to go have a party because, you know, we're good, we're safe, we're alive, we haven't been killed yet. But then we're going to go to the party where the, where the bad guy is going to show up and kill everybody. Maybe even the main characters. Who knows? Is it better? Let's see. I'd rather have Karl Marx Day than wear a mask. What, what does that even mean? I don't understand what that means. Um, and Bringing a Boy also says, isn't it better? Is it better to be in a republic than a democracy? I mean, there's the whole idea of a, of a democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner, and a republic gives the sheep some veto power, some say. Anyway, let's go ahead and take our uh, the next commercial break. Uh, we will come back, take your calls as well, 914-803-41. Oh, wait, no, I didn't want to take the break yet. Let's stop that a second. I want, to do, I want to do the words of Redneck Wisdom first before the break, comment on that, and then, let's see, where is it, 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 there it is. I want to do words of Redneck Wisdom. And now, words of Redneck Wisdom. Brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. So what's wrong with these two statements? $200 billion for free universal preschool, $109 billion for two years of free community college. They're self-contradictory. If they're free, why does it cost $200 billion and $109 billion? This is the kind of crap that they keep feeding us. Oh, free, 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 free. They're not free. Somebody's got to pay for them. Okay, eighty billion dollars yeah. for Pell Grants, nine billion dollars mm-hmm. for, for training, equipment, diversity of teachers, and then childcare. If you can't afford childcare, hey, don't have any children. <laughs> Why do other people have to pay for your kids' childcare? Why do other people have to pay for your kids' preschool? Why do other people have to pay for your kids' college? And then the question is: Is this stuff constitutional? This is just more welfare, redistribution of wealth, which you know how I feel about that, right? 
Where in the Constitution does it say the federal government has the authority to do that? And it doesn't. are we going to use, are we going to let the uh, welfare clause stand for anything that these guys want to do and give away? I mean, this is a, these people have no fiscal responsibility whatsoever. It's like they have a credit card, a federal credit card, and they have no limit. And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Den Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. And there we go. And what's interesting there is that he goes, where does it say that, that you know, where, where does it say in the Constitution that we can give welfare? Are they just going to use the welfare clause for everything? Which is funny. Because I actually brought that up the other day when it came to uh, COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, and, and, look, you know, and I have to I understand that conservatives believe that, that liberals overuse the general welfare clause to justify lots of social programs. That, that's, the, that's the conservative belief. And I understand that. But if there was ever a situation where you should be able to absolutely have agreement that promoting the general welfare is something that Congress does have the authority to do, and as an example of it, it's the response to COVID-19 and how Congress absolutely should have the ability to promote the general welfare by putting in restrictions, at least temporarily, during the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, there's no, I can't think of a better example that that's not, not, that's not enumerated in other parts of the Constitution. Like, there's you know, you, you can pay for a military for the defense of the nation. That's also clearly enumerated. So you can do that without the general welfare clause. But the general, gener, Jennifer welfare. <laughs> Hi, it's Jennifer welfare. How are we doing? Um, the general welfare clause clearly should come into play when it comes to coming in. There's another reason why I wanted to play this so close to the commercial break. And you'll see why um, in a few seconds. Again, so... We're going to take the next commercial break, and you can always, again, call the show, 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Day Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things. Political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will <laughs> catch you on the tune do you want to set money aside for a rainy day do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month what if i told you that you can get both and have a chance to win 10 million dollars yada is an fdic insured bank and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com open an account and make your first deposit you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. 
That's Y-O-T-T-A dot LiberalDan dot com. This is Amber Petrovich, a.k.a. Just Money, talking investing and finance in the Just Money Minute. The U.S. population is shrinking, and it's not because of COVID. Births declined for the sixth year in a row in 2020. Why? Well, it's not rocket science. Americans aren't having children because they can't afford them. This problem is only going to accelerate because we're already experiencing rising inflation with childcare and healthcare costs, housing prices, gas, food, services, supplies. In fact, everything is going up except, you guessed it, the wages of anyone not in the top 10% of wealth. Now, today's real average wage, that's wages factoring in inflation, has approximately the same purchasing power it did 40 years ago. Wages have barely budged. But the problem is that wages back then relatively kept pace with prices, so one working parent actually could support an entire family on a typical salary. Now, in 2021, of course, one salary supporting a whole family and buying a home and saving for college and retirement, well, that's some kind of elusive dream. Call it the new American dream. What do we do? Fight for unions, invest every penny you can to build wealth, and, hell, find a way to cheat the system like all these one percenters with their tax loopholes. This has been the Just Money Minute. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, this area code 914-803-4131. Now, as you can tell, the reason why I wanted to play the hypocrite, the uh, words of redneck wisdom right before that commercial block was because of the Just Money Minute, uh, talking about the uh, fact that the people are not giving birth as often and the birth rates are increasing. Um, and so, which directly goes against, you know, the whole idea that the individual, uh, Eric from Folsom, uh, which is funny because it, there's certain callers that call into that show. And as soon as Jeff said, Eric, I was like, Oh, is that the one from Folsom? Yep. There you go. It's the one from Folsom. He's sitting there talking about how, well, if, if you don't, if people don't can afford kids, then don't have them. Well, people can't afford kids and they're not having them, that there are more people are deciding to not have kids because of the price of the cost it is to raise children. So they are, there are, they are they're, the birth rate is decreasing because of that specifically. <clears throat> However, you know, there's the fact that there are benefits of, you know, having school, like, like if, if you have a better educated workforce, then they are more likely to be productive. They're more likely to be able to make more money and contribute more to the economy. So, so there, there, there are things to be said uh, as to, you know, should, should we, obviously they're not free. When, when we provide, you know, access to pre-K three, pre-K four, uh, we, we are doing so at a cost. Um, but the benefit of having a better educated society uh, is that we will have one that has less crime. We'll have one that has that can be more productive, that can compete in the new world economy. Now that that's the point is that you, by investing this money now in children, you make sure that they have what they need to grow. By helping people work, they can work. So maybe they can take less government money other places, or maybe they can like you know go to school and better themselves and then no longer be re- reliant on the government. That, that's what a lot of things times conservatives tend to not get is that there, there's, 
they'll invest in things, you know, like a stock market, which liberals do too, but they'll invest in the stock market, but they won't invest in children. They'll, they'll, they'll say how important it is for people to birth them, you know, because they'll be pro-life or anti-abortion, so to speak, anti-choice. However, they won't actually take steps to make it so that people can, you know, have, you know, better for their kids. And so that says so that the entire community can raise better kids. Not talking from a say picks a village Hillary Clinton standpoint. I'm talking from the whole making sure that, you know, we're providing for these children so that they can be better off and not and have better success rates. Have you know, I think the the statistic that was shown was that if you have pre K three, pre K four, if kids go through that, they're much more likely to graduate high school. Graduate high school, you're much more likely to be able to be a contributing member of society. You're less likely to be a drain on the system when you're an adult. So if you invest more money in it now, you have to spend less money in the future because those people can then afford to, to support themselves. Bringing a boy, he says, General Weaver was supposed to be a safety net on a way of life. And you know what? There shouldn't be. People should not be on public assistance for their lives. And some of that needs to come in changing the formulas to make sure that $1 uh, worth of income gain doesn't reduce the amount of money that you make next you know from from programs by a dollar or more so if there's no benefit to earning that extra dollar of wage then people aren't going to do it so you need to just let with so you need to have a funding mechanism that basically says hey here you go which is one of the reasons why i'm supportive of an idea like universal basic income because that way everybody you know tax you tax everyone's income from dollar one at, at some tax rate whatever the tax rate would have to be you, you could even say the tax rate would be 50%, whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe it's 50% up to a certain amount, and then who knows? Maybe it's 30% up to a certain amount, and who knows? Maybe you just have a sales tax. I don't know. But the point is is that you, by making sure that everybody has the money that they need to survive then and, and making sure that they're not getting you know, penalized, one of the reasons why I think that we should have, instead of expanding unemployment insurance or unemployment compensation during the pandemic. We should have just given everybody a, a, a small UBI, give everybody $400 a week or $300 a week. You know, they, if they have, if they're on unemployment, they can get the unemployment and it shouldn't account as, it shouldn't count as income, but if they're on unemployment, they get that extra 300. But even if they're not on unemployment, they get the $300 extra income. And what that would do is it would, it would say, okay, if you're on unemployment, you're getting this extra chunk of money. And if you're working, during a pandemic, guess what? You are now also being getting ha- getting hazard pay. This counts as hazard pay for y'all. So it would have been a win-win for everybody, and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have given people uh, an excuse to be like, well, I can't go back to work because it, I'll make less money working than I would on unemployment because that wouldn't be the case. What would be the case is you would still get that three hundred bucks or whatever, four hundred bucks every week, and then. And then you would go back to work and you'd be like, okay, I'm making even more money now. And I'm, I can I put more money into the system. And this is now my hazard pay for working in the middle of a pandemic. UBI is the worst thing then. No one will work. That's not true, though, bringing a boy. The idea that nobody would work. Here's the, some people might choose to not work for on a UBI. That's true. Some people might choose not to. However, employers would then have to say, you know what? We need to make it attractive for people to come work for us. So we're going to have to pay a better wage 
we're going to have to pay, uh, give benefits that are that will. I mean, we're going to have to make it attractive. It will it will restore a balance of power between employer and employee, so that employees can be like, make it worth my while to come work, and I'll work. Give me a work environment that's not hostile. Give me a work environment where I'm not stressed out every day because I'm like, Ugh, I'm going to go. allow people to go to work. Maybe these people can go to work for themselves at this point and, and, and do creative things and make creative items and, and, and work for themselves instead of working for other people. Do what they love to do instead of doing what they have to do to survive. Create, maybe it, it, it would give more innovation because people wouldn't have to sit here and be like, oh, I'm struggling day to day, so I can't do this thing that I think would be really good. They could then work on the thing that they think would be really good and, and maybe make more money that way. And Bernie Boy says the price of items go up. It's not necessarily the case. Uh, if you looked at the price of a hamburger in um, North Dakota, North Dakota, they were having the big boom when it came to uh, natural gas. And fast food places couldn't get fast food workers at minimum wage. Why? Because you could get a work job working in the uh, natural gas fields, uh, working for the national gas, natural gas companies, for much more than that, for not as much, you know, and it didn't need much, I guess, training. You know, you could get on the job training. It wouldn't need an education uh, to go what they needed you to do. And you'd get a good amount of money. So these burger restaurants had to pay like 15 bucks an hour just to be able to get people to come in in the door. And guess what? Burger prices might have went up a nickel. Like the burger prices didn't go up that much. If, if somebody could charge 10 bucks for a hamburger they're currently charging five bucks for a hamburger why wouldn't they do so the answer is economics economics is a simple answer to that if, if you you know if, if you are if you could get away with charging a ten dollars for a burger that you're currently charging five for and you're not charging ten for it then you're under underpriced then you're giving a discount that's your fault but if somebody increases the price of that hamburger to ten bucks, guess what? Buy it if they don't think it's worth ten bucks. So you have to be at that equilibrium point. If you're familiar with economics, you should know what the equilibrium point is. So you have to then say, okay, you have to maximize your profits based off of what the supply curve is and what the demand curve is. <clears throat> and if and if you charge a price on a demand curve that's too high. The place that you go on the supply curve is low. You're, 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 or I'm sorry, the demand gets low if you if you shift the price of the of the item. Where's the, the point? Where's the where the price of the cost of the good? I messed that up a little bit. <laughs> anyway, but the point is that you know supply and demand curve. You have a particular point where you maximize profit, where the demand for the good uh, is is maximum is is at the maximum amount. So you're making more money than you would if you would have increased your price or if you would decrease your price. So why haven't they increased the price? Because they can't. Why is lumber so expensive? I'm sure there's a shortage <laughs> and supply. We can, we can go Google that. Why is lumber so expensive? And I didn't even have to type the whole thing. I thought, why is lumber? Uh, again, as I look, well, my guess was why is lumber so expensive? Because there's a shortage. 
So builders are scrambling for a supply of lumber. So that's why the price of wood is up because there's high demand for it because there's high demand and because there's a, the, the supply can't meet the demand. That is why they can now charge more money. But things are not going to be true for, for a McDonald's quarter pounder with cheese. You can't just say, oh, well, I have to pay my employee more money, so I'm going to charge 10 bucks for this quarter pounder with cheese. People will be like, ain't no way I'm, char- I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay 10 bucks for a quarter pounder with cheese. So then I'm sure your next, uh, your next point might be, well, then they're just going to automate, right? Where are you going to go there? Automation? You can get those electronic kiosks to replace people. Well, minimum wage is currently what it is right now, and there are plenty of places that do automated checkouts already. Target has them. Walmart has them. There are a lot of places that have automatic. I've even seen them. You can go to McDonald's. If you go inside to McDonald's, you can go into McDonald's and you can do it as well. They already have it. Automation is inevitable. A business is always going to try and automate. A business is always going to try to make sure that their costs are less as less as possible. Same thing, and you might even say, well, they might just fire people if they can't afford to pay 10 people that they're going to fire them to eight. Well, I'll then make my other point that I always make to that argument too, because I've had this argument before, so I know what to expect, so I know what to answer. So you're going to say, okay, well, you're just fired from 10 to eight. If you can't afford to raise the price up, or maybe if it's double, if you're doubling the minimum wage from like seven something to 15 something, there's 10 people. Well, now we're going to hire five people instead of 10 people. Well, if you can meet that demand, with five people, then why haven't you let those other five people go already? You can't meet the demand with five people because otherwise you would have not hired the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth person. So again, the industry, I had talked to a contractor who knows people in the lumber industry and that he was told that he was told that he was told. I don't know what that means. Um, the industry feels that it's the reason that the lumber is so high because the industry feels that it's time to raise the price. Well, but, but that, that's, that's a very overly simplistic answer. Bringing a boy. That's very overly simplistic. Yes. The industry feels that if they can raise the price, why do they feel that they could raise their price? Uh, because builders are climbing over each other. According to Fortune.com, uh, Thursday, the price per thousand, be, thousand board feet of lumber soared to an all-time high of 1359 Since the onset of the pandemic, the price of lumber has skyrocketed 280%. For weeks, Fortune has relayed a similar message to readers. The price of lumber is likely to continue posting all-time highs this spring. Um, signs point to all-time high being getting top two on Tuesday's uh, July Futures contract. Jumped from 63 to 141, 1481. Uh, we are in a global supply shortage for all forest products, and pure panic is accelerating the price of demand. Uh, additional demand cannot or will not be added fast enough to allow for sustained price deceleration in the coming year. So maybe that means to invest in lumber? I don't know. Um, but there you go. So low interest rates spurred a housing boom. That, to, that boom. Um, which is exacerbated by the largest cohort millennials starting to hit their peak home buying years. Um, so housing starts are at its highest level since 2006, 
and new homes require a lot of softwood lumber. Um, so there, and then, then of course you have the other thing where you know you can only produce a certain amount of lumber to meet you know there's the sort of capacity limit I guess on the system that would that would allow you to be able to cut enough lumber to be able to meet the demand too, which is why a lot of the times when you have oil shortages or gasoline shortages, it's not that there's not enough oil, it's that there's not enough refineries. And if you don't, you know, why do you have not, not enough refineries? Because people who want refineries are like, well, not in my backyard. So, oh, we're getting a lot, a lot of economics and no real talking about voting laws today. Wow, we're, we're going all over the place. Um, so anyway, that's the point. It's like the lumber industry may very well just say, we feel that we can raise our prices. And the reason they feel that they can raise their prices are based in economic theory. They're based in the idea that, well, there's higher demand for wood because low interest rates means people are more likely to be able to afford to buy a house and new houses need, need more lumber. So because there's a higher demand on, on wood and people have been buying it up, there's now a shortage on wood because you have a certain supply of wood that's available to people. And when you have a, when demand grows and supply shrinks, you then, have, you then reach a different equilibrium point, which is higher than what it used to be, which is why lumber, the lumber industry feels that it can raise prices on lumber. That's how it works. Green energy like biomass is the lumber killer. Why would it be the lumber killer? And it, would, are you saying green energy like biomass would – are you saying that green energy reduces the supply of lumber because people are using – the land that they would normally plant trees on to instead build like mass um, production plants or whatever. So you could use those, use those, uh, the biomass to create green energy. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to, how you're saying that green energy is killing lumber. Yeah. Biomass is wood chips. Okay. I mean, but again, that would just mean that if that would make green energy more expensive, it, the, the lumber demand would kill green energy, and that's the case. It would be vice versa. I think you're confusing cause and effect. I don't know. I don't know enough about biomass to be able to make an adequate uh, reasoning as to, as to whether or not which one is harming the other. I think you might be putting the cart before the horse, though, uh, if that's the right metaphor to use. Um, but let's, let's talk real quick, though. Let's roll the conversation back uh, to where we wanted it to be in the first place, which is – got to scroll all the way back. Um, you can't hold a valid ID, according to Bring It Boy, then you shouldn't vote. I would like to know what that means about if you can't hold a valid ID. Like if you don't have a valid – does that mean if you're not capable of, of having a valid ID? I think everybody capable of having a valid, a valid ID for voting should be able to have one. Um, so I, don't, I mean, are you saying if you can't physically hold the ID, you shouldn't be able to vote? I know you're not saying that, but I'm just trying to pick on you. Are you saying that if you know, that, that people who, should, who can't get, who can't prove that they're a citizen should not be able to vote? Or, I, don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, let's say if we had a system that was able to get every individual in this country who is 18 years or older, their own federal ID card that is used for voting, that has a picture ID, maybe it has some bioinformatics item, maybe it has a, 
a chip like your credit card on it that can basically say this is, you know, maybe it has RFID on it to prove that who you are as well. To say this is your card. So you're able to get that, and you could use that to prove who you are, wherever you are. Then would that be fine? Like as long as every is, and if it's just given everybody. Again, as part of it would be a taxpayer expense, but there's there's a prohibition in the Constitution of a polling tax, so you should not be forced to pay money to be able to cast a ballot. And if you're and forcing people to pay money to be able to get an ID to cast a ballot is is a poll tax. Now, if you happen to have an ID that for other purposes, that ID should be able to use. But here's the thing: a lot of these so-called voter ID laws have non-ID provisions. And I usually focus on those because the provisions having to do with like how you vote and stuff like that. But, you know, North Carolina surgically targeted the ways that black people voted and got rid of those while, uh, you know, you know, they, they, they made it so that, but, but, but some of the ID provisions that they, that some of the provisions that they put into these ID laws do have things to do with IDs, but they're not, they're not just saying you need an ID to vote. They're restricting the IDs that could be used to vote, like like people who were citizens who were voting, who were using specific IDs that were good enough before. They're saying, well, no, now you can't use those. Dakota, I want to say, was it North, North, no? I think it was Montana. I think it was Montana. Again, we've talked about this one on the show before. Native Americans living on a reservation don't have traditional addresses, so instead of using traditional addresses, Native Americans would use their P.O. boxes. Well, all the states said, well, we're not going to allow people to use P.O. boxes anymore. Well, then what do these people do? They're citizens. They have the legal right to vote. They're living in this country legally as citizens. And they have driver's license that, are, that, were, that were issued by the government with the correct information to be able to use those driver's license, to be able to get those driver's license and they were good enough for voting years before, but why did they get rid of them? Why did they say you can't use an ID with a P.O. box in order to cast a ballot? Well, because they don't want Native Americans voting because Native Americans are more likely to vote for Democrats than they are for Republicans. As such, they wanted to prevent them from voting. So they said, well, we're going to take your IDs and make them invalid, even though they were perfectly fine and perfectly legitimate years before. There are other examples where other IDs from state-issued IDs were deemed to not be good enough to be used for voting. So they're making, you're asking how they're making it harder to vote. They're making, they're making it so you have to have a literal street address. Like I brought up this before, homelessness. If you're homeless, you don't have a valid street address. Maybe if you're homeless, and you're, maybe, maybe you live in your car. Maybe you're some one of these RV-type people who like to just drive around the land and and, and in your RV, and you have your driver's license, but you don't have an actual address. Maybe you just use the P.O. box, and, you, and every once in a while, you come back to your home area, and you go and you, you get your mail from your P.O. box. That doesn't make you somebody who's fishy. So why shouldn't that person be able to use the P.O. box? Why shouldn't a homeless person be able to use the P.O. box? Why shouldn't a homeless person be able to use their last address if that's their last legal address? Or why can't they use some other address to just to say, hey, look, this is this is where I am temporarily. But it's not a, it's not a, maybe it's not an address. I don't know. If you're living under the bridge, you don't have an address, but you still should have the right to vote. 
Because just because you're homeless doesn't mean you don't have the right to vote. If you are a person you can't who can't find a way to prove who you are, that just tells me you are lazy. Just laziness is not necessarily a justification to not vote. Now, people who are lazy might not vote to begin with, but that's the thing. It's like not not you shouldn't you still shouldn't be able to charge people like the one of the problems with the North Carolina ID law, uh, so-called ID law again because there are non-ID provisions in the law, was that uh, they would charge a fee for the special ID if you didn't have any other sort of license. But what I was talking about is, is that these people had ID. These Native Americans had ID. They had, a, they had an ID that was perfectly eligible for people to use, but was made ineligible because the legislature didn't want them voting. And the way to do that is to say, well, you can't have a P.O. box. Well, these people don't have traditional addresses. So if they already have the ID employee, if they already had an identific- photo identification proving who they are, proving that they're legitimate, proving that they're citizens, proving that they have the ability to vote, they already had that ID bringing a boy. Why should government then say, no, you can't use this ID that was good enough before? Why should – that is one example of making it harder to vote. Why should they be doing that? Here in America, Brigham Boy says there's enough lazy people in Canada saying you have to work for things. There are plenty of people who are willing to work for what they want. But that's not – we're talking about work and being lazy. We're talking about – this is what conservatives do, and it drives me nuts. And maybe you know that it drives you nuts, and that's why you do it. I don't know. But you always change the subject. So what I want to hear from you, bringing a point, and we're, we'll, I'll, I'll go in and start talking about some of these uh, Florida law changes, these Texas law proposed changes. We'll talk about that. But why are you okay with them saying to the Native American people in Montana, and I believe that was the state of Montana, are you okay with them telling them, hey, these IDs that you had are no longer legitimate because they, use their, their, they have a P.O. box on them? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with basically telling somebody who's used these same IDs to vote and that they were enough to prove that they were legal voters before, but now they're not? Why are you okay with this? Why are you okay with them taking that step to eliminate methods of people to vote, to eliminate homeless people from voting, to eliminate Native Americans from voting, to eliminate other people from voting who were legally able to vote because they've, they've used to use an ID for so long and now they're no longer able to do so. I think there was some talk of where somebody was using um, a photo ID that was given to them from the VA to identify who they were. And for some reason, that particular state said, nope, you can't use these anymore. Why is that okay, bringing a boy? Why, why, why are we in such a rush to prevent legitimate voters from voting. And you know the reason why, and I know the reason why. The reason why is because the Republicans can't win on ideas. The Republicans don't have a majority of the people who agree with them, so they have to cheat the system. They have to do extreme gerrymandering. Now, I want to end all gerrymandering. And shout out to Demonox, who brought this up in one of our chats. And I think it's a great idea. 
as to how to uh, – I've talked about uh, eliminating congressional districts and using slates to determine who gets seats, how many seats, how the seats are distributed up. By, and, and, and you vote, and whoever votes and comes out to vote, you then, you then determine who gets the seats that way. I, he came up with an even better idea, and, and I, loved, I love it. I really, I, really, I really, the more I think about it, the more I, I enjoy it. So again, shouts out to Demonox for this, which is you determine how many the parties that get their seats by registrations. You say, okay, you have uh, if you have ten seats in your state, and thirty percent of those seats are Republicans, or of those registered voters are Republicans, then the Republicans get three seats from that state. If uh, then let's say twenty percent are Tea Party members, then the Tea Party gets twenty percent. And then let's say if forty percent of the state is our Democrats then the Democrats get four seats. And then if, let's say, there's a Green Party, and there's 10% who are Green Party members, those people get 1%. That's how you split up the seats, not by, not by uh, whatchamacallit, by, by drawing arbitrary lines, but by saying, okay, this is how the state has broke up population-wise. We are going to give them this many votes. And then those groups those the republicans can say hey all right well we're going to uh you know we're going to have our elections to choose our four representatives and there we go and then the democrats can have well we're going to have our three i guess as if you know then the tea party can be like okay well we're going to have our tea party elections and we're going to choose our two representatives and then the democrats was like okay we're going to have our elections and we're going to choose our four representatives and that's how they'll be chosen and that's how to do it Let's see. Many states have since amended the ID section to include alternate ways to ID a piece of mail qualifies library card and others. But that's not a photo ID, bringing employee. That's not a photo ID. And you're all saying you need a photo ID. In Louisiana, you can do that. You can, you, you, there's a requirement to prove who you are when you vote. Now, you can bring your photo ID. You can also bring uh, the paperwork that you would bring to get a photo ID and do it that way. No, Dan, then you'll have a majority. No, it's not. You won't have a majority rule that way. What you'd have is, is adequate representation. The House of Representatives is supposed to be the, 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 the House. Let's look at what Ohio did. Oh, now, Ohio is losing a seat um, you know, in all the discussions about, oh, oh, people are moving away from you know, these houses, these states, blue states, because they're losing. Well, Ohio lost a seat, too. Nobody brings up a poor Ohio for losing it. But Ohio has had 16 congressional seats. Ohio maybe like went 60-40. Um, Trump. What was, what was the last presidential election results? Ohio presidential election. United States presidential election, Ohio. Um, 53%. To forty-five percent. All right. So Joe Biden got forty-five percent of the vote, fifty-three percent of the vote in Ohio. Uh, Ohio has had sixteen seats. So if you're going to assume roughly, let's say this is do it up to fifty-five. I, mean, I see you call her on there in a second, but let's 
Let's pull up the calculator. So if you have 16 times 0.55 is 8, so 9. So of the 16 seats, 9 seats should, or 8.8, so round up to 9. 9 seats should be represented by Republicans, and as such, 7 seats should be Democrats. But that's not how Ohio did it. Ohio drew lines in such a way that they made it so that there's four, there's 12 Republicans. So the Republicans have three more seats than they should. And the Democrats obviously then have three less seats than they should. Why? Because they gerrymandered. And the Democrats gerrymandered too. I'm sure there's gerrymandering in California. So I have an opinion about the California gerrymandering. I do believe because that no gerrymandering should take place. However, if the Republicans are going to do it on steroids, the Democrats need to do it on steroids as well. The Democrats need to also say, hey, y'all are going to chop up Ohio so that y'all get three, three more congressional seats than y'all are supposed to be able to get. Y'all going to chop up Florida and Texas in a way to make sure that y'all get more congressional seats than you should based on the population and the people who come out to vote for y'all then we're going to do it in California. We're going to do it in other states as well. We're going to make sure and we're going to do it in New York. And we're going to make sure that the seats that we lose because y'all are ridiculous are the seats that are, we're going to gain it in our, our way that we're going to do it because if it's good for the goose. It should be good for the gander. If you don't want to see California and, and New York doing that, then maybe don't do it in your own states as well. That's what I say. But you know, Democrats, unfortunately, sometimes lack the spine needed to be able to do the difficult things that are needed to be done when it comes to playing hardball. Democrats sometimes refuse to play hardball when they need to play hardball. They want to play softball. They want to be nice. They, want to, they, they don't want to be seen as the bad guys. But the Republicans don't care. The Republicans don't care if you look at them as the bad guys because all they care about is power and control. They don't want to lead. They want power and control. So they're going to draw lines like they did in Ohio. Did the same thing in Pennsylvania until the Pennsylvania Supreme Court tossed the, tossed the lines and said, look, these are ridiculous. You know, and they were. They absolutely were ridiculous. I mean, what? If, if, if you, you, you could, you know, what, what, and they, they got this via packing. They packed Democratic votes into big districts so that, okay, here's one district. It's like 90% Democrat. There you go. Democrats always going to win there. So, but they've watered down overall the votes of Democrats in the state. I mean, I'm probably that Republicans out there who would be like, well, let's just draw the lines to, to split everyone up. So who cares if we control the state 55% to 45%, let's put 55 uh, or only 55% to 45%. Let's make sure that 55, that each district has 55% Republicans and 45% Democrats. Let's do that. And that way there are 16 or 15 um, for Ohio and then zero Democratic votes. Well, they probably realized that they couldn't get away with that. But I'm sure that there are Republicans who are out there who would do it if they could. And that's, that's one of the differences. That's why I disagree uh, with, again, President Barack Obama, who once said that there's not a blue America and red America. There's United States of America. Mm-mm, no, no, no. We are not united, and there are, there, are, there are people who believe that 
we should be electing the House of Representatives for what its purpose, which is supposed to be the people's house. We're supposed to be doing that. And, and, and the House of Representatives should be representative of the people. But they're not. They're representative in some states. They're represented by the party because the parties draw the lines in, uh, to give the Republican Party an unfair, undue weight, undue control in Congress. Even though they're currently not in control of the House, they have more seats in the House than they should because of their gerrymandering and how they've been able to manipulate gerrymandering, as you've seen with my GOP coup series. Let's go ahead and take my, uh, my friend, my caller here. How's it going? How are you doing today? Hello, caller. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I knew it was you. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to say hello, and I'm sorry to hear about your your dog. Uh, we lost one about a month or so back, um, actually yeah. Easter morning. And um, yeah, I'm sorry about that too. And we actually we we lost a cat earlier this year too, which is she had uh, he had uh, the feline leukemia, and we had, he, we had picked him up as a stray, um, and everything just shut down with him, and it, we just knew that at some point it was going to be that way. But you know. He was able to have a good house for uh, enough, you know, to, to have a good rest of end of his life. But, you know, we've had sushi. Our dog's name is Sushi. We've had sushi for, you know, 13 and a half years. And it's, it's, it's going to be rough when that decision has to be made. I was, I was fairly broken up earlier when we had to make the decision as to whether or not to continue on with the, um, with the, with the second transfusion. And we went ahead and did it, you know, just because I, I didn't want to say that I didn't try. So, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. It's funny that you well not funny, ironic that you say you lost the cat too. We did as well. We he was he was old, so we led a full life and, and we had to we had to take him to go be put down because he was he couldn't even stand up. He would just fall over and he didn't know where he was anymore, so we yeah. couldn't stand to watch him that way. <laughs> so we we had to make that decision. It's so awful. Mm, so awful. It is. And and <laughs> you might even be surprised. Um, and those animals, losing our animals there, bringing a boy does have a heart. It brought tears to his eyes, you know, so he is human. <laughs> I know he is. I mean, I mean, he obviously has good taste in podcasts too, right? I mean, you know, he listens. Absolutely. He's my most, one of my most regular listeners. So he has good taste in podcasts too. I appreciate as much as we, as much as I disagree with him on the issues, I, I'm very appreciative of y'all for being loyal listeners to the program. So, um, you know, I, and I like the fact that we can have the conversations, even if we disagree, you know. Agreed. Yeah. Well, it gives a different perspective. There's some things that I didn't know, and I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay, well, then that changes everything. <laughs> you know, but it's good, though. It's, it's, there, there's, there's, I would love to hear an example of that, of, of where I've said, where I've taught you something that, that you didn't know that, that, you're, that made you change your mind. Because that's happened with me before in, in discussions as well. Like, I've... I, I used to, you know, believe other things where I was like, okay, well, now I've changed my mind based on new evidence. And that's unfortunately something that's not exi- – that doesn't exist in much of the political discourse that takes place. There's, there's, there's a extreme lack of willingness uh, to listen to uh, an argument to someone. Earlier today, I was like, look, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a conversation on gender, and I was like, look, please read these two articles. Uh, that's all I'm asking you to, to ask this person to do. Read these two articles to maybe see that maybe your understanding of gender and biological sex is, is 
not completely in line with modern science and what it believes. And the person's like, I'm not going to do that. Well, I mean, I don't know what else I, I can that, say to you then. <laughs> I think that was it um, where you had um, changed my mind on the issue um, of transgender and how I viewed, you know, the whole procedure and their situation, I guess you could call it. I, I don't want to be insensitive. I just don't know their predicament. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's what it was. I remember now. Oh. Well, there you go. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, it's not even, you know, my argument. It was, it was the argument from probably the Scientific American. But, I, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's things that I don't have lived experience on. And, you know, I, I can't know what it's like to be a trans person. I can't know what it's like to be uh, a black person. I can't know what it's like to be a woman. You know, so I have to then listen to um, those people and, and, and understanding what, their lives are like and and try and do my best to have empathy and I try and you know there are probably times where I've failed and I try and you know learn from my mistakes and move on and unfortunately there are people who don't believe that they ever make mistakes and you know to admit admit (laughs) to admit that one is wrong is usually seen as a cardinal sin and you know you can't you you know and I'm not like that, and I don't believe you are either. You haven't demonstrated that. I mean, if I'm wrong and, you know, I've, I've been corrected, I actually appreciate it because this way I'm not going around passing bad information around and looking like an idiot, you know. I'd rather be corrected and have it backed up evidence-wise. It's like, okay, my bad. I'm sorry. Um, right. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I welcome that all the time because then it only makes me look bad if I'm stupid enough to, to not accept and you know something that is actually factually correct where my information may be missing something or you know somehow unqualified to be evidential or factual and right. so you got to you got to go with what's what is what it is <laughs> well that's why you're a valued listener to the liberal dan podcast so because <laughs> oh, you. you yeah so I, I do appreciate it do you have anything else to uh on 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 the 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 ID or voter issue. I know you had wanted to talk about the census stuff. I mean, but. Well, you mentioned uh, that you didn't have really much time to go to get gather the information. And I appreciate that. Um, I I just did want to mention um, something that you did briefly cover on the topic because of the information that you do have available. And and that was, um, you know, as far as the Republicans, um, they just don't want people to vote, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, that's kind of a sweeping statement to make because unless they actually, every one of them called you and told you, you know. <laughs> well, l- l- let me clarify so, that statement. A, sometimes that my, sometimes oh, I do have to clarify that statement. And sometimes I do and sometimes I fail to. And it's a lot of the times when I'm being critical of, quote, Republicans, it's it's the, the Republicans, the elected Republicans. It's, it's the people who are making the decisions in the you know the legislatures for example those those people who are voting on these issues the people who are you know passing these laws that uh, that have sections in them that I find problematic because I'm not going to say that every single part of these laws I are problematic right so 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 so, so, the, so so yeah so so it's so it's those those people making the, making the decisions that are the ones that are receiving the criticism. Um, a lot of times when I'm making a more broad sweeping statement about Republicans in general, I do try and also say many Republicans. I don't even try and say most Republicans. I try and say many uh, because 
of my experience is that I have dealt with other people who are registered Republicans who are not like that. I want to make sure to not say all. Um, well, but, let me just say that what I've heard so far today and in previous broadcasts, and you're not picking or anything, but mm-hmm. it's because you're in a flow, it just comes out, Republicans don't want this, Republicans don't want that, Republic, and it just comes out Republicans, not many or the ones in Congress, it's just Republicans. And I pick up on that, I'm like, well, wait a minute, how do you know? what they're thinking. But anyway, um, what I so, wanted okay. to mention that I will try, I'll try and do a better, I'll try and do a better uh, job of saying these elected Republican officials or whatever. And then, or, or, or making a point to say the Republicans I'm talking about in this situation are the Republicans in the Republic, in the, like the Florida legislature, for example. So I'll, I'll, I'll try know, to do a better job of that. that but, but when I am flowing, uh-huh. Why I'm flowing, maybe give me a little bit of benefit of the doubt and understand that I'm, I'm criticizing those people who are directly responsible for the things that I'm talking about and not the entirety of them. Okay. I will keep that okay. in mind. I, I just Thank think, you. you know, as far as, oh, sure, absolutely, that because everybody is just so on the edge of their seat ready to, to bark at each other for the slightest thing wrong, you know, as far as, oh, that's not right, he got that wrong or she got that wrong or whatever, that when you do qualify your statements by being a little bit more specific, I'm not saying not nitpicking, but just a little bit more specific, it helps people actually maybe even join forces because there are issues that we can agree on um, no matter what party is doing it, that it's either good or bad. And rather than blaming or calling out an entire party, and so that's why I say, you know, it's kind of better to qualify. Because if we can unite under some issues, which we have, and even bringing a boy has with, with you on certain things, um, that's a good thing. We've got to look for those things to, to uh, focus on, the things that bring us together uh, rather than separate us. But that's just me. <laughs> right. But the census thing you wanted to bring up, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll include that in what I look up or when I'm doing my research for whenever that show comes around. So what was the thing you wanted to bring up? Oh, um, that um, as far as we know, which I could be wrong, um, the sanctuary cities that uh, for illegal aliens now, the states that have had people move out, move away to other states like California, New York, um, and and then, but then it says that they gain numbers at the same time. Um, it doesn't mean that the people or the numbers that they were gained were actually all legal because of the sanctuary cities that California has. So. Um, you know, while there's a gain in numbers, the census, yes, Trump wanted on there um, whether or not they were a citizen or not, but the court struck that down and said, no, you can't do that. You can't ask people about that. So when people would actually put the number in their household, that would qualify those states or counties for more money because there's more people. So that gave them more federal dollars. And so also, I don't think the Democrats thought about um, when they have created these sanctuary cities, that it could also affect the district lines that are being drawn um, because a certain amount of population has to be represented, you know, given the representative or if they lose population, then they get one taken away. Um, But yeah, so I think the sanctuary cities had a lot to do with California. I think we lost one, if I'm correct, I could be wrong, Uh, representative. But yeah, California lost a seat, but why would, why would, why would counting undocumented individuals uh, harm them? Why would why would um, counting those why would counting those people make it less likely for them to gain it? Make it more likely for them to lose a seat? 
Um, well, again, as far as where the sanctuary cities are and where they're not, so where you have a more densely populated area, you may gain a representative. If you, if you, um, if that area has been, you know, as far as depleted, then and that there was a representative in that area that, as far as the numbers qualified, and now they don't, so now they lose a seat. Um, well, Matt, well, or certain areas of states might gain or lose, might gain or lose representation simply because more of the population of the state might be in a population center as opposed to like the rural area of the state. That, that, that's understandable. Right. But, but overall, overall, the state of California lost a seat. So regardless of where that seat ends up being lost from, like, I don't know why counting more people would make them lose a seat. Like why, if, if they would, if they would not have counted individuals who were not documented um, that wouldn't have made them more likely to get the seat. That's that's where I'm not. That's where I'm not understanding the, okay, the point so that you're trying you, to make. If sanctuary cities up and down California, okay, they're going to house or overpopulate those areas um, with the people that are coming in, so this way they can have um, sanctuary, basically, you know, as far as not have to be deported. Other areas um, of the population in California that got out of California because of all the taxes and, you know, just the laws and policies that um, they may not agree with as far as the whole water and the 40 gallons and this and that, it may have not been viable for their families. So many of them left the state. So those areas are going to receive or going to have their seat taken where the densely populated ones will either gain a seat or stay depending on how many you need for an area to qualify for representation and then that's how they draw, draw the district lines well, well there's a drawing, but that's that's the drawing of the district line district lines within the state that doesn't necessarily but that doesn't right you don't lose you don't lose you don't lose a, a congressional seat overall in a state because because population was lost in one particular area it, it's because population it's because of the the formula of figuring out the state, okay, so California has X number of people who are citizens, uh, or not or not even citizens, X number of people overall compared to the overall number of seats, so this is how many seats that they get. Like, so it's, that, so that's, I'm not, I'm not seeing how, if they wouldn't that's have they counted, the money too. If, if they would, if they would not have counted the people in those cities that you're labeling as sanctuary cities, and I'll get to that in a second, because um, you know I'm going to. Um, the, I'm saying people the, moved out of those sanctuary cities, but then they were replaced with other people that are not supposed to be here. And, but where did they, yeah. well, where did they go? They left the state to move to Texas. They moved to Florida. They moved to other out of, out of state, Montana. Utah. I mean, that's, that's 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 the argument that some some people have said that that people have left the state to go other places. Um, but I don't know why counting, but I don't know why counting the people in those cities counting more of them is going to make them lose a seat. You might argue that because they've, because of whatever policies, maybe people shifted, but even though California still gained population between censuses, you know, their population, it did increase. They didn't lose population. They gained population. Okay. It's just the, it's just the overall, the overall percentage of population that California has versus the rest of the country caused California to lose a seat. So I don't think, but I don't think that has anything to do with, let me so put it called it this way. I don't want to be this blunt, but I, I, I don't know other, how other way to put it. That would be basically California lost 
legal United States citizens and were replaced with illegal, not supposed to be here, um, didn't come the right way across the border, um, sanctuary city protected uh, population. So you're replacing illegal with an illegal population. So it appears, of course, we didn't lose anybody because of the surges of people coming over the border and being bussed in and whatever else. So yeah, it's not going to look like we lost anybody, but um, the numbers show that we've actually gained people. But yeah, they're, but they're not Americans. <laughs> but it, but it doesn't. But it, they don't have to be Americans. Like I think Joe Barton's seat in Texas, there weren't there weren't undocumented persons, but. Like he was represent 40% of his district in Texas was made up of people who were not citizens. So he only mm-hmm. needed to get, so only, so he only needed 30, 30% plus one vote of the entire district to win because 40% of the district was, this is a Republican who was, who was taking advantage of the fact that his citizen was drawn in. They drew in non-citizens into the district specifically to give him an electoral advantage. So yeah, there are people who are non-citizens who are counted. It still doesn't explain. I, I'm still lost onto why counting citizens versus or non-citizens having more non-citizens in your count doesn't doesn't make you less likely to have to, to more likely to lose a seat. Having so non-citizens that, that, but not enough to keep what left. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's just say we had, okay, a city with 100 people in it, and let's say 30 of those people left. They moved out of the mm-hmm. state to go live someplace else. And we had a surge over the border, and that um, city council made the sanctuary city. And so now we have people that are coming from all over the world, and they're coming in to live there because they can be protected and, and make a life for themselves, except for... It wasn't 30 people that had come in to replace those people. It was only 20 people that came in. So while we, while they say we didn't lose anybody or we just barely lost a small percentage, that's because there's a 10-person difference between the 30 and the 20, the 30 that left and the 20 that came in to replace them. So it wasn't enough. The 20 wasn't enough to keep the representation for that city or district, and so they lost the seat. I mean, I'm not, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just having a bad day. I'm just, so, so you're saying that the amount of, you're saying that more people left the state and went to other states boosting their population. That's why they lost the seat, even though California gained people. Like, but like, that's what I understand. Like, so if, if that's the case, then why? Then, then why does the why is the fact that they're not documented? Why does it matter to that argument? Because they can't vote. I don't know. But it doesn't I matter because what. they're still counted. They're, they're, they're still counted in the census. That's the thing. I'll call a draw because I'll admit that I don't have all the information as well on the um, to, to discuss census enough. So I'll bow out and and um, okay, prepare. Fair enough. And, and if you want to arrange a, another show where we can discuss it, that would be great. Because I don't want to st- say something that, you know, we're, I don't know for sure. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So um, I'm bowing out. <laughs> right. Okay. But, like, for example, I'm finding one article according to uh, ABC 10, I guess, which is a, maybe a California 
station. I don't know, but um, it's saying that 653,000 Californians left in 2019. However, they had 480,000 people, new residents of the Golden State. So there was a kind of a loss there. Some of those people did go to Texas, but Texas also lost 453,000 people. Uh, Florida lost 457,000 people. Um, so I don't, there's no, let's see. Um, and they could have died from COVID too, yeah, some yeah, of those no. people. Thank you. You know, maybe they may have not have moved somewhere. Maybe a good portion of that population were COVID deaths or just deaths during the COVID too. So. Well, not That's the 2019 say, people. Not, not the 29 like, people. Not, not the people in 2019 <laughs> that left. People in 2019. Nobody in 2019. Well, maybe a couple at the end of 2019 might have died because okay. we now understand that COVID came earlier. But this is 2019 numbers. Um, so I, 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 think it, I think it's very difficult to try and attribute um, migration from in two states as to uh, as to I'm obviously migration. People move from states to another. Um, I, and that's going to happen. And, you know, I used to live in Maryland. I now live in Louisiana. I mean, that, that happened a while ago, but, you know, people move and, and, and that's what happens. There's, there's, there was discussion between me and my wife today about, do we want to find another state to move to because of certain issues um, that, that, you know, maybe we want to live in a bluer state that might take COVID more seriously. Although we do live in a nice blue city that seems to be taking it more seriously, but we'll see. Um, but the, I don't know, but but yeah, we will def- I will definitely shoot you an email when I am ready to do a census show and so we can have more of a discussion on this, the census issues. Because um, my, my issues with is like I'm concerned that the census was, was, was p- potentially politicized. And if, and if it was not, then I'll say it wasn't. But I'm, my concern is that it was potentially politicized to make sure that Republicans, that red states gain seats. And and that that's my that's my ultimate concern with 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 the actions in the census. And so that may very well take a month or two because I think I think there's I think there's many I think there's many there's more data that's coming out. I think we have the raw data now. I think there's more specific data that might be coming out later. I don't even know if the data that I want exists. Like I don't even know how I would be able to get some of the data that I want, which is why I'm going to have to probably do a more a deeper dive into this sort of thing. Um, and oh, the other thing I do want what you were talking about um, as far as who, who publicized the census more and, and their reasons rather than um, the statistics that, you know, as far as a deep dive, um, just to, so this way we'll have more access to available information. Cause like you said, it's going to be difficult to get um, specific uh, numbers. Depending on the thing, too, so one thing I want to look at, one thing I do want to look at when it comes to that is like the number of census workers per capita in each state. I would love to see that. Like how many, okay. how, which, which may be, which may, which potentially could tell, you know, what now, of course you need sort of a baseline, you know, maybe if you're in a state, every state might need a baseline number of people to be able to handle the census in those areas. Maybe if, if it's, if it's, by state, but I'm thinking, you know, we could look and see, are there, where are there more census workers per capita in, you know, Texas and Florida than there were in New York and California, for example? I don't know. If it turns out that, that, that there were not, that it was maybe California had more, maybe California had the same roughly per capita as, as those other states, and maybe there's another reason. I don't know. That's just one, one of the examples of things that I'm going to want to try and find out before I have this, 
the, the census oh, show. Oh, that would be great. And I say yeah. that because I actually applied to work for the census and tried, made at least five honest attempts to get a hold of them. Um, the website didn't work where you submit your application. There was nobody to call and talk to. And it was like, well, I guess that's that. Because I thought, well, that's a pretty good gig, temporary, you know, and um, get some exercise and get out there. Why not? I can help my state, state out, make some money. But, um, yeah. And you live no, in California, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. and I was thinking, well, if I can't get through, that means other people can't get through. So what's going on? And yet they were advertising like crazy um, for census workers to come work, right. you know, and do the job. And so I thought that was very interesting. So whatever information you find out and what I find out, maybe we can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, know, I personally know somebody who works for doing census work, who has worked the last two times doing census work, I believe. Um, and I know that they were looking for people, you know, and I think they were hiring people. Now, Louisiana is a weird state because um, I don't think the uh, Democratic governor at this point would sign off on a on a terribly gerrymandered uh, state. But then again, you can't get much less than one. So there's really no choice in the matter. The, Louisiana actually should have – Louisiana is, has six congressional seats. One of them is the Democratic seat. So you can't, you, you, you can't get less than one. Um, if, if they tried to get less than one, there would be probably some Voting Rights Act that's still maintained on the books. The part of the Voting Rights Act that could challenge that, uh, would, it's still there. Uh, they, they, and they, and I, don't, I don't even think that this Supreme Court would look at Louisiana having zero Democratic representation and be like, that's, yeah, that's fine. No, they would probably say, you're being ridiculous. And I think even Republicans would realize that that's not tenable. That is not something that you could, that you should be able to do is, is now, if you looked at the number of votes that have been obtained by uh, presidential candidates in the state of Louisiana, or even Democratic candidates in the state of Louisiana statewide, you'd see that, generally speaking, Democrats get somewhere between 40 and 45 percent of the votes here. So in reality, we should have at least two Democratic seats representing Louisiana in Congress, and we only have one. Um, the only reason that uh, John Bell Edwards was able to win and actually win re-elections as a Democrat here in Louisiana is because in his first election, the runoff was him and David Vitter, and David Vitter had his hooker problem. And the second, uh, excuse me, the second uh, between him and somebody who had no running for office, he was not prepared. It, it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. But that's why he won the second one. So, uh, I mean, this guy was like, I was I was embarrassed for him. I felt bad for him almost. Just this guy was he was trying to be Trump in Louisiana, but he he wasn't no, ready no. to. He wasn't. I mean, and and it seems to be a good like he was a businessman. He was a uh, he is somebody who was 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 promoting his very conservative values and and the fact that he was willing to hitch his wagon right up to Donald Trump, and it almost worked. But the 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 debate that he had uh, was just. It was just so embarrassing for him. It was just, it was, it was really bad. Embarrassing anyway, because even after the, I mean, the recent, somewhat recent um, convention that the uh, GOP had, so ridiculous. These guys and women or whatever um, seem to think that Americans who voted for Trump because there were, you know, just like on both sides, independents, Democrats, it was, you know, a mix. Um, right. Seems to think that it's 
it was Donald Trump and and anybody that comes along and rides his coattails will vote for him. and it's like no Donald Trump was the tool but it's not about him it, he was the vehicle that exposed a lot of what was going on in Washington and that was all and so I mean if he thinks he's running uh, he's thinking of running again but if there's a better candidate then he won't get elected because it wasn't about him. And, you know, people think never, or Trumpers are just like, they'll, they just love Trump. They'll follow him right off the cliff. But it's like, no, people have their issues with Trump. I had my issues with Trump. But at the time, between the two candidates, you had to choose the lesser evil. And it was him, Donald Trump. Although I, I, I do think, was, but if you look at what's going on, and I talked about this earlier in the show, if you look, if you do look at what's going on in the House, uh, with the threat to Liz Cheney losing her losing her place in Congress, it's specifically because she's opposing Trump because she's she's standing up against the what she felt was a wrong thought done by him, and the people are saying you can't do that you know you can't go against Trump. I, I think there's a significant there may very there there's there are there are Republicans who look at Donald Trump and are like. No, this is not where we want our party to be. Um, a good chunk of those voted for Biden, um, but there are there's also a, Republicans in Washington shouldn't have tried to get rid of Liz Cheney or censor Liz Cheney, and the Democrats shouldn't have tried to censor Marjorie Taylor or anything else. They're they're petty. They're right now they're nitpicking at each other and being petty and acting like children. Do their job. They need just to do their job, and that's it. Wasting time with all this pettiness. I mean, freedom of speech. You can say what you want. As, as a representative of um, your constituents, you're representing them, and if this is how they voted for you, because you represented certain values and certain things, and so, you know, Liz Cheney has a constituency that voted for her. So she's doing what she thinks is in the best interest of her constituents from what she is, from listening to them. And so if that means standing up against certain legislation or a president, then do it. And that's what they need to respect that of all of each other there. And so it just bothers me when they do that crap. You know, it's, it's so petty. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is a, a substantial amount of pettiness that does, that does take place over there. But I mean, one of the, one of the most petty people there is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in that, you know, he, he's even said today, I think that it's his job to, that his that he's 100 percent focused on stopping Joe Biden. Like, if if you're like your job should be to represent the people and get things done for the American people. Um, exactly. And exactly. and there sh- you should if there, we should not. Joe Biden has said, "Look, I'll negotiate. You put something on the table. We'll talk about where we can come together and get things done and get it passed." But I don't. I have no faith in that because, you know, Mitch McConnell I think is more concerned with. I mean. He's I don't know. More concerned with reelection, more 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 concerned with retaking the Senate and having getting his Senate Majority Leader position back. Um, yes. One of the things yes. that I talked about last week, um, after the well, on, the on the late version of the podcast, since we did it after the the, the non State of the Union State of the Union, um, was that you know, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz found some place in the speech. To applaud, they found something to applaud at. Mitch McConnell oh. sat there and only applauded when it was over. <laughs> like Mitch McConnell couldn't find any one thing to clap at. 
Well, you know, maybe like, not. That's his prerogative. You know, that's, that's his prerogative. Mean, but, I mean, but I mean, but, there are people who are clapping for, you know, he made statements about how, you know, in support of police officers. He made comments in – there's there are several things that other Republicans found – now, I mean, at some point, Ted Cruz also closed his eyes. It looked like he fell asleep. But he yeah, also still a found – a body, They're divided a lot. And, and as far as what people were doing where the cameras caught certain things, like Ted Cruz, you know, nodding out and Mitch McConnell right. not clapping, they did the same thing during Trump's. State of the Union, you know, they had people who weren't clapping that didn't stood up, stand up or, or even, you know, give look that way. And that's not a big deal. That's their prerogative. You know, their constituents, America could see that. The world could see that and know who that person is. But to, to harp on it, it's like that person is basically showing who they are. And but but, but that's, he's that's not it. just one senator. He's the leader of the, of the Republicans in the Senate. He's the person who should be setting the example. And, and, and to me, and maybe, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm you know, overly optimistic in, in my expectations of what these, how these elected people should behave, um, you should be able to find something to reach across the aisle and agree with when it comes to, um, when it com- when it comes to politics. There should be something. It shouldn't be seen as it's almost like it's seen as you've committed a sin against your party if you dare even agree with them once. Like, yep. And and, and that's yep. wrong. And that, 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 that's where Democrats did that with Trump, you know, and the Republicans do that with you know Obama. And it's just what they do, and it's not right. They should work together and compromise if they want the country to be united. Well, goodness gracious, is it going to kill you to reach across the aisle and work something but out? Could, but I could probably yeah. go back and watch the Trump States of the Union addresses, and I could probably mm-hmm. find an example of a, a leader in the in the Democratic Party, either Schumer or Pelosi, clapping at something. And and not. I know. The, <laughs> you had all these not, women that dressed up in white showing their protest against Trump. You know, representatives. You know, they were camera showed these women showing their protests as far as representatives all dressed in white. You know, Republicans never did that. That was, you know, you're going to protest at the State of the Union, the President of the United States. Come on. If you have a beef with him, take it to him. <laughs> well, I mean, you didn't have the guy, was it Barton that shouted out, you lie? You know, <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, they, they do it to each other. It's, it's wrong. I agree with you there. And I, and I agree with you that they need to start thinking about the country instead of their personal agendas and their lobbyists, supporters. So. On their campaign. Yeah. But let me, let me go ahead and, and, and let, me, let me address the other issue they want to talk about, which is, you know, my, my, my issue with the term sanctuary city, uh, which mm-hmm. is that um, sta- cities are not only don't have – not only do cities not have requirements, are not, they're not required to enforce our naturalization and immigration policies. They are not. Right. They are. They are. They are. I would even argue that they are restricted from doing. They are not allowed to enforce our naturalization and immigration policies because that is a specific power that is enumerated to the federal government by the Constitution. And because mm-hmm. it's specifically enumerated to the federal government, the Constitution is not a power that is retained by the states or the people under the Tenth Amendment. And because of that, right. 
to, to, to label something a, a so-called sanctuary city um, is is to say that is to say that the city is not doing something that they don't have the authority to do. If, 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 if there, there's really no there's no way for a state for a city to say, hey, yeah, well, I'm going to go round up all these people that are here who are undocumented. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. They don't have the authority to do that. That's the federal government's right. authority to do so. An agreement within the states and the federal government that if there is a person that is a non-resident of a state, that if they're arrested, they're supposed to call ICE or whoever, um, the federal government, to uh, let them know that we do have someone here, you know, what do you want us to do with them? And they, you know, we're supposed to come and get them. They're supposed to notify them. That was an agreement that was made, not for them to go and knock on doors and check to see if any non-residents live in a house. No, they're not supposed to assist. And what a lot of people don't understand these days, not saying you, but um, even Republicans, most, a lot of Republicans, they were saying, but it's the federal government, it's law. And it's like, well, you know what? The states trump the federal government because the states are sovereign. They have their own constitutions. And yes, we are united under one constitution to have a central government for certain things. But as far as marijuana laws go, whatever, states are, can do that because they're, they're well, sovereign. And, states can you know, do that because within the states, a state can within the state ban marijuana because the regulations on marijuana should only be done, you know, are not, are not a power that's enumerated to the federal government in the constitution, but specifically the, the power of, of immigration and naturalization are specific powers that are given to the federal government. So in cases in immigration and naturalization, those are cases where the federal government trumps the local, the, the state and local governments when it comes out, because that is a constitutional authority that they specifically have. For reporting, yes, for reporting them, but uh, non-residents or not to round up, not to participate in the, um, you know, incarceration or to turn, you know, as far as that goes. But, um, and yes, you're right as far as the enumerated powers, but narcotics, if it's stage one or stage three narcotic, that falls under the federal government. And marijuana was one of those staged drugs, and that's why it was considered illegal. And then the states were having conflict because, like California, they had made it legal for medicinal purposes. So people who were growing it, you know, just an average person, had their place rated (laughs) by the um, federal government and had been put in jail. But the state said it was okay. And so there was a conflict there. And by the time it all got worked out, the guy lost his house. You know, right. and first he lost his business, his life was flipped upside down, and um, and that was because of the conflict in laws because they can't seem to get it together. But anyway, and, and, I'll let and you that's go. one of the things. That's, that's, okay, oh, that's one of the things, though, that that I that I tend to disagree with when it comes to where I think that the federal government has overextended its power is is when it comes to uh, the argument that I think because something could be transported across state lines or something that therefore that that gives the federal government jurisdiction like on the issues of marijuana i think the federal government can prohibit trans can prohibit the transport of marijuana over across state lines because that then becomes an interstate commerce issue but if the marijuana is um grown produced processed however it's processed you know if you know via creating a joint or putting it into a brownie or whatever sort of edible you might want to have if it all takes place mm-hmm 
within the state, then that should not be that the federal government has burdened. So I think that that is an example of government overreach when it comes to it. I would like to see that go away. You know, maybe well, maybe well, who knows if, if the you know, if, if 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 even if done by fiat, if not done by by law, if they just choose to okay, we're going to enforce these states uh, to legalize marijuana for recreate for either medicinal and or recreational use. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, it's 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 one area where I do think that there's federal government overreach. So um, I think that's, I that's one area maybe where you know again you know we can agree as both liberals and conservatives that the federal government is, is too big. And, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's strange how there's, there's a lot of areas that are involved in policing that I think liberals and conservatives would naturally agree on if they just got down to the bottom of it. Um, unfortunately, we have too many other things that are interfering with that. I'm kind of browsing as I'm speaking. Kind of, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, yeah. Go ahead. I'm looking at the ICE website right now um, about the Delegation of Immigration Authority Section 287 Immigration and Nationality Act. Um, there are agreements that are that are that are in place, either the jail enforcement model or the warrants enforcement model, um, that are you know mm-hmm. in several of the states. None exist mm-hmm. with any state, any 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 city in California, but they're with you know specific law enforcement agencies like in Alabama. Mm-hmm. There's like the Itawa County Sheriff's Office has a jail enforcement model where where they've agreed uh, to to participate in that. But um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I question whether I I question whether or not I question whether or not that is something that would, you know, does the Constitution grant a federal entity or federal agency the authority to delegate its constitutional responsibilities to state and local governments? Uh, I, I have to be an agreement made between the state and the federal government. You know, that's you know, individual states can make those agreements or, or choose not to. You know, but can they? That's the thing. Can yeah. I, I don't even? Yes. I would argue that maybe that they shouldn't be able to because uh, I don't think that the Constitution allows a state to to be granted authority to do something that's specifically the responsibility of the federal government. So maybe that's a, that's, a, that's yeah. maybe that's a topic. Maybe that is a conversation that's probably for another show completely as to the constitutionality of uh, federal, federally designating – the federal government designating authority to states that – where the states don't have the constitutionally written or enforced or endorsed or whatever uh, authority to do so. So that, that might be a topic for a completely whole other show. So now we have two okay. other shows well, we, have have. we have to have. Of that. A weak example okay. of that would be the ACA. You had governments that had refused to um, participate in Obamacare, and yet it was federally mandated, but there were states that opted out. They had that option to opt out because of being, you know, a sovereign state. I hate to use that word, but um, Mm -hmm. that's what it is, that they are sovereign. And so they had that option to opt out of certain things and, you know, provided themselves or, or not. But, um, but, yeah, that was the federal mandate right there, and, and that's what hurt the ACA is because there were states that chose not to participate, and we needed all 50 states to participate in order to make it work. And that's why it was so expensive, after all, and it didn't work. They didn't all participate. Well, some of it worked. Some yeah. of it needed to be improved. Some of it does need to still be sure. improved. But, I mean, I, I, was on an, I was on an ACA plan that was, I mean, the, 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 pre- the deductibles, 
with the price of the premiums were very high. Um, I did get yeah. some sort of, I did get some sort of, uh, whatchamacallit. Um, yeah. I mean, I got, I mean, we still got the in-network pricing versus the out-of-network pricing. We still got the coverage for the, uh, for the, um, for the care when it comes to uh, preventive care that is, that is, yeah, preventive mm-hmm. care that's covered by the, by, by the ACA uh, that wouldn't have been covered uh, that might not have been covered on other plans. Um, it was only, I think, before the ACA, the only plans that required that were required to have preventive care were bronze-type plans, where you had low-premium, high-deductible-type plans. Those plans were required by law to provide those things. But this, but then again, uh, some of the plans that were on healthcare.gov were high-premium, high-deductible instead of low-premium, high-deductible. Um, so it was. I used to have a low premium, high deductible plan at where I worked, and it was it was good for us for several reasons. But it was I think the the, the company paid a good chunk of the of of, of the premium is is the easy way to say it. The more difficult way to say it is that uh, I paid for it with my work. It's just to show up on my paycheck. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. let me go ahead and let you go because I probably need to go to hit the sack too sometime soon. But yeah, thank you very much for for calling in. Um, maybe when I, maybe next week I'll have to talk more about um, the things. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll briefly go over. Um, um, I think you could hit if you want to listen on the phone still, or you can call back. If if I hit something and you're still listening, um, you can I'll put you on mute. You can you can call back if you and or re flash your question mark or let bringing a boy you know hey he, she wants to talk again. Um, but the uh, let's see, where is it? Um, was it Florida SB ninety? The 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 Florida law that the, the SB ninety is what was passed. I do want to talk about this, some of those things briefly um, that are written in that bill. Um, the earlier versions of the law would have banned the use of ballot drop boxes altogether. Uh, there were changes that were made that do allow for drop boxes, but uh, they have to be chosen at least thirty days before an election. Election officials must supervise the drop-in boxes while they're open. Uh, that just adds more effort on the part of of the of the uh, makes it less likely to have those drop boxes. Um, this measure also limits who can hand out items, including food or water, uh, to voters waiting in line. Um, voters items can't be given to voters within 150 feet of a ballot box. Uh, only volunteers or staff working with the election supervisor can provide quote nonpartisan assistance. Um, so basically, they're, they're trying to again, you know, deal with this problem that's not a problem. Uh, you know, they're creating a problem that doesn't exist. I.e., you know, somehow it violates the. According to Republicans, it it, it violates in election integrity. Or, let, let me reword that. According to Republican officials who are voting on this legislation or drafting this legislation, uh, handing out water uh, to people in line is somehow uh, harming our election process. Uh, that's, that's a better way to put it. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. So let's, let's look at the bill in and of itself to see what passed uh, SB 90. Let's see. Uh, scroll through the intro. Um, section one. Um, 
that's supposed to be uniform, uniform statewide voter registration application. I mean, that sounds fine. Um, but of course, it says whether the, whether the applicant has been convicted of a felony and if convicted has had his or her voting rights restored. And by including the statement, I affirm that I am not a convicted felon or I am my right or if I am, my right to vote has been restored. Um, that's fine. Of course, this, the Republican legislature in Florida after this in 2016, the state of Florida specifically voted. It was the people of Florida that voted to allow uh, felons to have their voting rights restored automatically after getting released from prison. Uh, the legislature then said, well, no, 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 you have to pay your fines first. That's not what the people voted for. That is not what the people voted for. So, Florida uh, statute submitted read online voter registration. An applicant may submit an online voter registration application using procedures in the section. Uh, maintain a secure website that safeguards an applicant's information. Uh, submit a voter registration application, including first-time voter registration applications and updates. Uh, submit information necessarily to obtain an eligibility to vote. Uh, swear to the oath. Online voter registration must comply with information technology security provisions. Um, the, for an applicant to update his or her voter registration record, he or she must uh, provide his or her date of birth and either his or her Florida driver's license number or the identification number of Florida identification card issued. So fine. So look, you don't even need to provide to give anybody a, your picture ID. You can just have the information and do it. And Louisiana does that too. Um, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with people being able to change their voter registration online. It's 2021. We should be able to do that. And they allow people to do that as long as they can prove who they are. And that's fine. But by proving who they are is just, here's your driver's license number. Here's your birth date. Oh, that matches in the system. Cool. We're good. Or here's the number from the job, from the voter ID that you've given. Now, whether or not the voter ID is freely available, that's, that's another thing. Um, but again, if it's not to me, as long as the ID is freely available, you have no problem with them requiring it. But there you go. You've proven who you are. There you go. Um, and if you can't do it that way, if you don't have those IDs, you can go in and you can do it with your other information at the, at the DMV or wherever you would go uh, with your paperwork that would show who you are. Um, there's supposed to be a risk assessment. Uh, let's see. Risk assessment. There's more information about if the applicant's name and date of birth are consistent with the records of the Department of Highway Safety Motor Vehicles. Uh, shall transmit the blah, 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 along with a digital signature on file, blah, blah, blah. Um, last four digits of the applicant's social security number verified. Then it shall blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, this is more accepting voter registration. In case an applicant has not been issued a current and valid Florida driver's license, identification card, or social security number, the applicant shall affirm this fact in the manner prescribed in the uniform statewide voter registration application. Mark the applicable checkbox. Um, mark the checkbox affirming the applicant has not been adjudicated, mentally incapacitated, blah, blah, blah. Um, you have to prove that there's non-existence of a voter. If you, if you don't have a driver's license, you can do it the other way. Let's see. The more voter registration, I'm skipping over the voter registration stuff because that's, let's see. 
A fine in the amount of $250 for each application received if a third-party voter registration organized in person and acting on behalf will. Let's see, what is it? Let's see. Third-party voter, voter registrations. Before engaging in any voter registration activities, a third-party voter registration organization must register and provide to the division in electronic form with the following information. Names, addresses, and temporary addresses of any person, agent, acting, um, registering persons to vote. Uh, person, you know, acts as a fiduciary, ensuring that any voter registration application entrusted, irrespective of party, uh, must be promptly delivered to the division uh, within 14 days after the applicant completes it, but not after registration closes for the next ensuring election. Fine. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the third-party voter organization must notify the applicant at the time that the organization might not deliver the application to the division in less than 14 days or before registration closes. A third-party voter registration organization must also inform the applicant how to register online with the division and how to determine whether the application has been delivered. Um, if it's not promptly delivered, then there are fines. Okay, that's fine. I have no problem with this part of the law either. That's good. See, we're, we're, we're finding parts of the law. This is what I'm saying. There are parts of these laws. There are parts of these laws that have to do with voter IDs, and there are parts of these laws that don't have to do with voter IDs. There are parts of these laws that are fine, and there are parts of these laws that are not fine. Uh, finding a third-party voter voter registration, um, providing third-party, assessing fines against third-party voter registration organizations who do not do what they're supposed to do. Fine with that. No problem with that whatsoever. About halfway through the laws, I'm scrolling through. Precinct level election results. Did we miss something? No. It's not a very well organized document. I'll say that. Uh, FloridaSenate.gov. The PDF of this of this bill is is not very well. There's no like, oh, go to this line. Go to. It's not a table of contents where you can just go scan to find the page where the thing's on. Let's see. <laughs> so you have 30 days to fill it out uh, to return. However, ballot type or precinct subtotals in a race, having fewer than 30 voters voting on a ballot type on the precinct may not be reported uh in precinct results, all ballots cast means ballots cast by voters who cast the ballot, whether or not a precinct location, vote by mail, blah, 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 blah. Live turnout data. Um, supposed to make live turnout data available. That's fine. I don't care about that. That's, you know, more information. More information is good. Um, form of candidate oath. Um, in addition, any person seeking to qualify for office as a candidate with no party affiliation shall at the time of subscribing to the oath of affirmation state in writing that he or she registered without any party affiliation and he or she has not been a registered member of any political party for 365 days before the beginning of the qualifying preceding the general election. Wow, that's weird. Like, so a person can't just say, I'm going to run as an independent voter. Uh, I'm going to run as an independent candidate because I no longer want to be a Democrat. I no longer want to be a Republican. They have to do so 365 days before qualifying of the general election. Whew. 
I mean, that's a little foresight there. I don't know why that's needed. Uh, that seems to be to be maybe solving either a problem that doesn't exist or trying to solve a problem of enticing people to run against, uh, run enticing like a conservative to run against the, uh, as an independent to draw votes away from the Republicans or enticing if, if, if you have a closed primary or enticing a Democrat to, to run as a independent liberal to try and draw votes away in the general election from the Democrat in question. So maybe that's what they're trying to do with that one, which seems to only protect uh, the parties in power or the party in power, which is in this case is the Republican Party. But it could also it helps to helps both parties, which to me makes it suspect that I'm a liberal. I'm a registered Democrat. Uh, I am suspect of, of such things. So I don't agree with that. Um, let's see. Qualified. Boom. This is just qualifications of people. The office thought it's partisan. A written statement of political party affiliation is required. Um, identification required. Polls. Here we go. Picture identification does not contain. If the picture identification does not have a signature of the elector, the additional identification that provides an elector signature shall be required. Address appearing on identification presented by elector may not be used as the basis to challenge an elector's legal residence. The elector shall sign his or her name in the space provided. Blah, blah, blah. Let's see. The clerk or inspector can compare the signature with that of the identification. Here's one of the things that's the issue. Um, somebody did provide a, a screenshot or a picture of um, I think it was DeSantis's signature and how it looked over the past eight years or so. Um, his signature differed vastly over those eight years because signatures aren't always guaranteed to be perfect, but yet you're requiring somehow that we match the signature. Uh, you know, that's all subjective. And I think, uh, let's see, the clerk or inspector should compare the signature with identification um, on file. Um, Let's see. Elector seeking assistance in casting ballots, oath to be executed. It's unlawful for a person to be in the voting booth any elector. Um, Okay, whatever. Um, Declaration to give assistance. This is just what you need to help somebody vote uh, if they are incapable of voting themselves. Canvassing returns. uh, Audit. And I might be scrolling past things in this law because it's not very well written. I'm not, I haven't quite yet seen the food thing or the water thing. Um, oh, here's vote by mail. Um, and this is one of the things that supposedly is going to uh, harm, uh, potentially harm Republicans. Because before the 2020 elections, the Florida, Dem- Florida Republican Party loved mail-in votes. They loved to use mail-in votes. In fact, while Donald Trump was railing about how mail-in votes are fraudulent, the Republican GOP in the state of Florida was sending out requests for absentee balance to Republican voters to get them to go register to vote and mail in their votes. So, <laughs> I mean, hypocrite, more, more hypocrites for the hypocrite of the week. Yes. Um, let's see. Where is that? So right, there we go. Request for mail-in vote by mail ballots. The supervisor shall accept a request for a vote by mail ballot from an elector in person or in writing. One request is deemed sufficient to receive a vote by mail for elections through and in the calendar year of the next 
regularly scheduled election, provided the request is deemed after November 6, 2018 and before July 21, 2021, uh, deemed sufficient enough to the end of the calendar year. Unless the elector, such request may be considered canceled when the first class mail sent by the supervisor is returned as undeliverable. Written or telephonic request, the elector must provide his or her Florida driver's license number. The ballot is requested. However, absent uninformed service voter or overseas voter seeking vote by mail is not required to submit a signed written request for vote by mail. That doesn't seem to be uh, equal protection under the law. Um, if some people can do it without a signature, then all should be able to do it without a signature. Um, Let's see. The request must be made. Question name, question address, question relationship to the elector, request your signature for each request for a vote by mail, valid received. The supervisor shall record the date request. So not necessarily seeing where it's saying the what the restrictions are. Acceptance expressly authorized for voters having a disability, uh, for overseas voters under whatever, or for local referenda, a county, municipality, or state agency may not send a vote-by-mail ballot to a voter unless the voter has requested a vote-by-mail ballot, no matter authorized. Of course, sending a vote-by-mail ballot, that's what Donald Trump was talking about. He was complaining about unsolicited ballots being sent out, but in reality, what was happening is there was unsolicited ballot request forms that were being sent out. Uh, which is a different thing altogether. It's a, well, it's a completely different thing altogether. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Voting in person, return of vote by mail, security. Supervisor shall designate each Dropbox site at least 30 days before an election. After a Dropbox location has been designated, one not being moved or changed. Um, I was wondering why it's not moved or changed, whatever. Let's see. Use an X is as the mark is okay still, as long as they can provide blood sample of their next of kin. Uh, I don't know. I This is just poorly written. Like yeah, the, the, at least the, When I was looking at the Georgia law, when I was looking at HR1, it was, it was nicely drafted. It was nicely presented. This one is really not nicely presented at all. Um, let's see. There's, there's also the Texas one that we want to talk about. Um, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, not the sports center guy, um, said that you know the claims that were uh, that these new laws suggested are racist. Um, but let's see, uh, outlawing 24-hour voting is one part of Senate Bill Seven. Um, it's backed by Abbott and Patrick. Um, bill would enact other sweeping changes to voting in Texas, including making it illegal for local election officials to proactively set applications for mail-in ballots, even if they qualify, and restricting the distribution of polling places and voting machines in diverse urban counties. Their extent to their their intent, geopolitical leaders say, is to is to protect the quote integrity and standardization of Texas elections from local efforts, like those Harris County devised in November to expand the acts. But the pushback from local leaders. Democrats' big business and voting rights advocates has been intense, uh, according to the Texas Tribune. Um, like they didn't like the whole drive-in voting thing, for example, that was done. Why, 
he, I guess here's my ultimate problem with conservatives on this issue, and I guess I'm going to you know shorten it up and, and just end the show after two and a half hours and not do a three-hour show, a three-hour show. Dan, it doesn't matter anymore. Let's be real. Dems control the polling stations, and they decide who is the winner. They did it. That is not the case. No, the people decided who was the winner in the 2020 election. It's because the people came out and voted despite the attempts of the Republicans to slow down the mail, specifically to joy, slow down the mail, um, and to do other things that would prevent, uh, try and prevent people from voting. Um, like, why can't, what is, like, like, like the, the Texas Republicans want to stop from having a drive-through vote. Why? Why would they want to stop that? If I can set up something that's safe during a pandemic that allows for people to drive through with their car, show their ID, and then be able to cast a vote at the next like stop in one tent, drive into one tent, show an ID, prove who you are, go to the next tent, you know, down the row and cast your ballot. What's wrong with that? Like, it's the thing. It's like, y'all are trying to say that you want these voter IDs to protect your election. Well, what, how do these other things protect the integrity of the election? How does pre-mailing voter or ballot request forms, how is that protecting election integrity? How is making it easier for people who are legitimately able to cast a ballot protecting the election integrity. What, what's happening is that they want to make it more restrictive because they only want certain people to vote. As I said in my GOP coup series, the, the Republican officials, the elected officials, are trying to make it so that the electorate is as old and as white as possible. Because if, if, if it's as old and as white as possible, that means it's as Republican as possible. And you're going to try and win. And that's why that's how you try and win the state governments. That's, you know, that's why a lot of these state elections don't take place um, on the national election days. They take place at different times so that, you know, you don't have the massive turnout that you do in federal elections. For whatever reason, some people don't like to think that rights can be taken away in off-year elections. Um, so they're trying to make this big push. And part of the problem, again, with... Now that we're going to see legislatures like Texas and Florida redrawing districts, you're going to potentially see, like, I want to see, one of the things I want to see is how many red districts are there in Florida right now? We'll anticipate, we can anticipate that there'll be one more, at least. Maybe there should be one more. They would redraw in such a way to give it one more. But how many more will actually come into play? Are there going to be two more? Are there going to be five more? How many more of the, of, of the seats in Florida are going to be drawn so that the gain in one becomes a gain of seven or six or five? How many gains are they going to have? The, the Democrats are up, what, by seven houses, seven, seven seats in the House right now? The Republicans could probably make that up just by drawing lines differently. And that's the problem. If you can just draw lines differently, you don't have to change your policies. You don't have to change your, you don't have to change anything about what you do in Congress as an elected official. You don't have to do any, 
All you have to do is redraw a line in such a way because you control the state government. All you have to do is draw a line in such a way to say, okay, I'm going to make up these seven seats. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. You should not be able to do that. You should not be able to um, – Let's see. You should not be able to just draw lines and have better election results. Uh, why did the polling auditors, according to Bring It Boy, put plywood over the windows uh, of that night of the election? Was it to block the sun coming in at night? Sorry, Dem. Um, why did the polling auditors put plywood? I don't know. Was this in uh, Arizona where you had, um, where you had uh, armed folks? Threatening, uh, threatening them basically uh, with their presence, uh, trying to demand that they be let in to be able to see, um, you know, a, a precursor potential of of what happened January sixth, Michigan. Um, let's see, Michigan um, polling. because. Polling station boarded up. Let's see what we get. Um, fact check video showing crowd locked out of Detroit Center uh, with windows obstructed or missing context. Um, Steel is on, said Michael Cordry, captured industry and video, blah, blah, blah. There were too many challengers inside. The Detroit Free Press reported that challengers from both sides were locked out because the limit of challengers had already been exceeded. Earlier that day, 268 Democratic challengers, 227 Republican challengers, and 75 nonpartisan challengers were on the floor. The free press reported, reported roughly 400 challengers were, quote, freely moving around the room. We were well over the 134 maximum. Um, election officials were concerned about COVID-19 spreading, yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's probably a bit uh, the fact that, again, you had, you know, hordes of people coming in from both sides wanting to, you know, observe. <laughs> well, blah, blah, blah is, is basically a way to, 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 to pass, pass through. Anyway, you have armed people showing up like in Arizona. You have other people showing up, you know, claiming that they're going to, you know, stop the steal. Well, how are you going to stop the steal when you're coming, you're coming up with armed weapon with weapons armed? How do I think you're going to do that? You know, yeah, maybe people are going to put things up there that are going to, uh, uh, protect them uh, so that you know you had you had uh, officials who were who had uh, protesters show up at their houses one of them I remember one of them were like their chill child was home and they had to go run home and stop being a part of this election meeting because the protesters found her address and were were actively protesting outside the house and scaring the poor person's children so yeah that, that's a problem anyway Right, we're going to call it the end of the show, but first, before we do the end of the show, I'll, do, I'll replay the airing of my intro, just the intro part of my story of the uh, 5th of May. Centuries ago, three grand ships sailed across the Gulf of Mexico, bringing condiments to trade to the people of Mexico. One ship contained ketchup, one ship contained mustard, and one ship contained mayonnaise. On the 5th of May... The first two ships arrived at their ports on time, but the third was hit by a storm. The hull was breached, the crew was lost, and the contents sunk to the bottom of the gulf. 
This is why every May we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And there you go. That is That was what I started the show with, and now we're ending the show with that as well. Uh, so there's the story of why we have Cinco de Mayo. But anyway, this is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. We will be back next week, um, the day before I get my second of my crossover shots. So I may very well be fully vaccinated very soon. I might already be it, but I'm doing the Novavax trials. Therefore, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, again, you can support the show. Again, shout out to Demonox, to Cesar, uh, to the host of Most Ambitious, the first podcast. Get on the bed so we can get more of those. Please soon as well. Thank you. Um, again, subscribe to all the places, especially the YouTube channel. Go to the Patreon. Support me there as well. Until next week, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Day and Radio. Off to the left. That's right. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.